You want answers? I want the truth! Now pushing the limits, here's Brian Shapiro. All right, what's up, everybody? Happy Tuesday. It is Pushing the Limits. Thank you so much for joining us, broadcasting all over the place, man. Uh, we're on Twitter Live, YouTube Live. We're on TikTok. We're on Facebook. We are everywhere. And, of course, on the KSHP website, uh, broadcasting for you video and audio. Um, I'll be honest with you, as I'm always honest with my listeners, today is not a fun day for me. These next two hours are fun because we've got some great guests lined up, um, but... I just put up a lot of money to go to the dentist today. I have a lot of work that needs to be done on my teeth. Um, so uh, not going to be fun, a fun afternoon for me. I'm getting something called a bridge, and I'm getting a couple teeth worked on today. And the reason why I'm getting a couple teeth worked on today is because I don't want my smile to look like a MAGA Trump supporter. Oh, I'm sorry. That was horrible. Uh, I don't mean to be rude. But no, in all seriousness, uh, not a fun afternoon at the dentist I'm looking forward to today. But I, I should have a lovely smile for you tomorrow. Uh, but we got a lot to uh, get to today and a lot to talk about. Is LeBron James retiring? Uh, we're going to talk to my hoops guru, Jamison Welsh, coming up at the bottom of the hour. I mean, the Lakers just got swept. We're going to get into that. Um and I'll probably get into a little bit of the fact why I think LeBron is full of crap. There's no way he's retiring. And the reason why he made comments alluding to the fact that I have a lot to think about this summer is because he's putting pressure on the Lakers and he wants them to get some pickups. There is no way that LeBron is going to end his career getting swept and losing two games at home. No chance. I'm going to put it on 0%. LeBron is not retiring. He doesn't have a lot to think about. He's putting pressure on the Lakers organization uh, to pick up some players. He needs help. I mean, the guy did it himself in the first half. He had no help from AD or anybody. We'll talk to Jamison Walsh about that coming up at the bottom of the hour. And, of course, preview tonight. Uh, are the Miami Heat going to sweep the Boston Celtics tonight? I mean, this is some weird playoffs. NBA and NHL. Last night, the Florida Panthers beat the Carolina Hurricanes. They're up 3-0 in that series. The Hurricanes were favored to win it all a week ago. So there, there's a lot of weird stuff going on. We're going to be previewing. The Vegas Golden Knights game tonight up 2-0 against the Dallas Stars. The game hits the road in Dallas tonight. We got a couple people that I love to talk hockey with. First of all, haven't talked to this guy in a while. He does the, the TV for the Vegas Golden Knights and does a great job. Darren Millard is going to be joining us in hour number two, and we're going to be uh, uh, breaking down game three tonight. Also, Real Kid Poker, the biggest face in poker, if you ask me. Danny Negrano is going to be joining us. Sure, we're going to talk some hockey with him, but we're also going to talk about Texas Dolly, his good friend, uh, the legend himself, Doyle Brunson, passing away. Uh, we're going to get his thoughts on Doyle Brunson, Doyle Brunson's legacy, and of course, the World Series of Poker coming up here in just a few days. So, Real Kid Poker, Danny Negreanu joining us in hour number two, Vegas Golden Knights TV analyst Darren Millard's going to be joining us in hour number two, my hoops guru, Jamison Walsh is going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour. So uh, we are jammed up with, with some great guests today, and we're going to have a lot of fun for you. By the way, Joe Walsh is going to be joining us on the show tomorrow. John Ralston from the Independent, Nevada Independent, is going to be joining us on Thursday. And, of course, we're going to be at Sapphire Gentlemen's Club, The Pool. It's a tough job that somebody has to do with some very special celebrity guests on Friday. So we got a busy week ahead starting today. we got a lot to talk about and uh, certainly a lot to get to. By the way, Ron DeSantis... Uh, is going to be announcing his run for presidency tomorrow. Uh, among all people, he's going to be sitting next to Elon Musk. So I'm sure they'll be very happy about that. Uh, but DeSantis is going to be officially announcing his running. I don't know how he beats Donald Trump, but uh, we'll get to that. And we'll probably talk a lot more about that with Joe Walsh tomorrow. But uh, I, I don't think there's any chance. Meanwhile, Donald Trump has been seen in Scotland today making more comments about uh, Jean Carroll, the woman 
who accused Donald Trump of rape, sexual assault in that dressing room. And of course, Donald Trump found liable for sexual abuse and defamation. He continues to defame her. He did it yesterday. He did it today. And now uh, E. Jean Carroll and her attorneys are now going to be asking for more money. The guy doesn't know when to shut up. You can't, especially after you've been found uh, liable for sexual assault, sexual abuse, uh, you probably should stop defaming the person that you allegedly raped. Probably not a good idea, but Donald Trump can't hold his tongue and he can't stop himself. Somebody else that can't stop themselves is Carrie Lake, the disgraced, embarrassed, I guess you could say attempted politician as she uh, attempted to run for governor in the state of Arizona. She's lost case after case after case, a page from the Donald Trump playbook claiming that she won the election and that Hobbs cheated and the Democrats cheated and Maricopa County, they all cheated and she's lost at every avenue. And yesterday, I guess, was the last straw because an Arizona judge uh, just rejected the final lawsuit brought forth by Carrie Lake affirming that Democrat Katie Hobbs has won the 2022 election for governor. It's interesting. Uh, we are now in May in 2023, and we're getting more affirmations that Katie Hobbs uh, won the election for governor. It's really ridiculous. This ruling came after a three-day trial last week where Maricopa County Superior Court Judge Peter Thompson, who, by the way, is a uh, judge, a, a Republican. Let me repeat that, a Republican. Does this remind you of something? Uh, It reminds me of Donald Trump, the 61 lawsuits where Donald Trump's attorneys couldn't prove that there was widespread voter voter fraud in a courtroom 61 times. And many of those judges were Trump appointed Republican judges. Do you remember that? Same thing here. This judge, Peter Thompson, is a Republican. And he found that Kerry Lake's team did not present clear and convincing evidence or a preponderance of evidence that misconduct was committed in the 2022 Arizona election. Wow. Shocker, ladies and gentlemen, shocker. And as I said before, Kerry Lake amplified what President Donald Trump's lies have been for years now about the 2020 election. Continuing spreading falsehoods about the 2022 gubernatorial election, denying that Hobbs defeated her by approximately 17,000 votes. And Arizona was, you know, a very key battleground for governor and Senate back in 2022. And I would imagine that it'll likely be the same in 2024. The former news anchor, you know, has remained in the news. And I would imagine she's probably going to be announcing today she's running for Senate. Maricopa County Chairman Clint Hickman called the ruling justice and said wild claims of rigged elections may generate media attention and fundraising but they do not win court cases, he said in a statement. He said, when bombshells and smoking guns are not backed up by facts, they fail in court. And a shocker that Lake did not comment on the ruling other than posting uh, a GIF on Twitter reading, fix this broken system. <laughs> um, look, folks, anybody who takes Kerry Lake seriously is a, is, a, is a buffoon. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Just like the people out there that take Donald Trump's claims that he won the 2020 election. You know, if you take that seriously, if you take people like Kerry Lake seriously, then you're an idiot. You're an imbecile. You're a dummy. I don't I don't know what else to say. Either you know that they're lying and you're just a far right idiot. Or you're so ignorant, you're so dumb, you're so uneducated, you believe it. It's just like all the morons that donated to the Donald Trump campaign when Donald Trump said that he was going to use the money 
to go for voter integrity and, and overturn the outcome of the election. And all of you idiots out there that, that donated the hundreds of millions of dollars, you're all suckers. You're, you're idiots. You're the guy on the street, where, where, you know, the, the, the three cups and, and, and choose which cup the dice is in, you know, and, and you lose time after time after time. And after, you know, after a couple of minutes, you owe this guy a hundred bucks. You're that person. You're a sucker. You're the person at the poker table that's losing all their money. You're the sucker. That's what you are. If you've donated to the Donald Trump campaign over the last couple of years, or you believe the BS that Kerry Lake won the election in Arizona, then you are an imbecile. You are a sucker. You have no brain. You need help because you're dumb. Just like the idiots over the last several years, the anti-maskers, the people who've gone after Dr. Fauci, the people say that COVID was a hoax. The idiots who say we should arm our kindergarten teachers, the morons on the right that say we should get rid of abortion altogether throughout the country, the people who go after Joe Biden on a daily basis that say the border's wide open, which, by the way, it's not. Doesn't mean there's a lot, a lot of issues at the border. Doesn't mean it's not a crisis, but the border's not wide open. For you idiots out there, and all you talk about are transgenders, there's a reason why people like you lose time and time again in elections. And there's a reason why Six out of the last presidential elections, Democrats have won the popular vote, including Hillary Clinton and, of course, Joe Biden. There's a reason for that. It's because of idiots like you. Yeah, you people that are listening right now that are claiming all these conspiracy theories and lies instead of talking about health care, instead of talking about inflation, instead of talking about livable wages for the American people, instead of talking about the real issues that are facing Americans today, you choose to tra- talk about transgenders, Hunter Biden's laptop. And by the way, it's not just everyday right-wing idiots. It's people in office like the Jim Jordans and the Matt Gateses of the world, right? It's people that are actually elected that are in office. It's not just your fault. It's elected officials that they want to talk about the red meat of what their constituents, the right-wing morons that vote in people like Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Greene, that's what they want to talk about. They want to talk about Hunter Hunter Biden's hooker habits and and snorting cocaine. They'd rather talk about that than, than dealing with real issues that the American people are facing every single day. They'd rather talk about voter integrity. I guarantee you no Republicans would be using that term, voter integrity. If Donald Trump didn't say that he won the election in a landslide, they wouldn't be talking about that. It's all nonsense. It's BS. It's all nonsense. And that's why they can't win in a court of law, because there's something you see that we call, which is evidence. And there's no evidence of widespread voter fraud, not in the 2020 election, not in the 2022 elections. And not don't just take my word for it. Republican judges say so. So, again, if you're one of those people that thinks Kerry Lake won, you're an idiot. You're not smart enough to have a conversation with me or anybody else that's a reasonable human being. You know who's a reasonable human being? Our Secretary of State in Nevada, Cisco Aguilar, who came in studio last week. And I'm not saying this because he's a Democrat. I'm saying this because he's a normal guy. He's not an idiot like Jim Marchant. He's a normal guy. Doesn't talk about the cabal. Doesn't doesn't spread conspiracy theories. He's an educated guy. He's a well-spoken guy. He's good for the state of Nevada. He's smart and he's honest. And I'm glad he won. And there are people like Jim Marchant 
the Jim Marchants of the world and the Kerry Lakes of the world that are two peas in a pot that think the exact same way. Donald Trump won the 2020 election. Democrats are cheating. I won the election, even though you lost. Conspiracy theories. And there's one main reason why they do this, by the way. And this is the misconception. A lot of people say, oh, Donald Trump believes this. Donald Trump believes he won the 2020 election. No, he doesn't. Just like Carrie Lake knows that she lost as well. The reason why Donald Trump has been doing this for years and the reason why Carrie Lake is continuing to do this is for one reason and one reason only money. Maybe you could sprinkle a little bit of ego in there when it comes to Donald Trump, but this is about money. It's about campaign contributions and it's about money because the longer you're on in the headlines and the longer right wing idiots without a brain continue to believe that the election was stolen and you won and you're our hero and you're our trooper and you're fighting a good fight. I'm going to continue to open up my checkbook and I'm going to continue to donate to your campaign and they're going to continue to ring in the money from suckers like you. Because you're suckers. That's what you are. That's why Carrie Lake continues to do this. She wants to remain in the headlines. She wants people to think, idiots, to think that she won the election in 2022 in Arizona. She wants to continue to accept campaign contributions, make money, because she doesn't have a real job right now, make money. Same thing with Donald Trump. That's why they are doing this. She says, fix this broken system. She wouldn't say it was a broken system if she won. Donald Trump said it was a broken system back in 2016. Do you remember that? Leading up to the election, the presidential election against Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump said, uh, it's rigged. The elections are rigged. Democrats cheat. And then all of a sudden he won. For the next three years, did you hear Donald Trump say the election was, was cheated and Hillary won? Did he say the election was stolen? Was he saying elections were rigged for the next three years? No, because he won. You don't have to be a brain surgeon. I would say if you have an IQ over 20, you should probably understand what I am talking about right now. It's all about winning and losing. And if you lose, it had to have been stolen. It was fixed. And if you won, okay, the election was fair. That is why I say it is an attack on our democracy. This isn't fun and games anymore. What Donald Trump continues to do, what Kerry Lake continues to do, even after being rejected in this final lawsuit earlier this week, yesterday, it is an attack on our democracy and she will never admit that she lost the election. Just like I believe Donald Trump will take it to his grave and he'll never admit he lost to Joe Biden. That is your poster boy for the Republican Party right now. You must be very proud to be a Republican for you Republicans out there that are listening right now. Donald Trump is the poster boy of your party. It ain't Ron DeSantis. It certainly, you know, ain't uh, any of these other people that are running for office. It's just not. It's not. And, you know, (laughs) you know, it's a joke to me. If you think that any of these other uh, other people that are running on the Republican side have a chance. Because they don't. Nikki Haley has no chance to win. You think Tim Scott has a chance to win? It's a joke. Maybe one of these people will will, will run for vice president and Donald Trump will pick them, but that's about it. They have no chance to defeat Donald Trump. Let me be very clear. A black person has no chance to be the nominee in the Republican Party. 
Zero chance. They can say in front of the cameras how much they like Tim Scott, but I guarantee you behind closed doors, they would never vote for somebody black. Yes, I said it. There are people within the Republican Party that are blatant racists. It's the reason why the Republican Party has so few people of color. It's the reason why the Republican Party has so few women of color. It's because there are a lot of people within that party that don't like brown people, don't like black people. It's why the, and and listen, I'm not saying there are, you can't be racist if you're a Democrat, because sadly, there are people out there that are Democrats that are racist, too. But when you look at the Democratic Party, how many people are minorities in the Democrat Party compared to the Republican Party? How many? A 10 to 1 ratio. If you don't believe me, look it up yourself. There's a reason for that. And the reason is there are many within the Republican Party that want their party to look the same. They want it to look like a Klan rally. Not every Republican feels this way. Never would I say that every Trump supporter is a racist. Never would I say every Republican is, is a racist. But there's quite a few out there. And if you had to choose which party is the party of I don't want brown people in my party, it wouldn't be the Democrat Party. It would be the Republican Party. And if you don't believe me, look it up for yourself and tell me how many people of color are in the Republican Party. It is a 10 to 1 ratio between Republican and Democrat. Why is that? If you disagree with me and you don't think it's racism, then why? Wh- what's the reason? Why is it? I hear from people like we had that buffoon Laverne Spicer on the show. Oh, we have so many more people of color that are joining the Republican Party. Really? Uh, where are they? Why is Tim Scott the only guy I- I- in there? Why? I think I know the answer. And if you don't know the answer, then you're complicit. Speaking of color... Um, it's a story that's both sad. I mean, I got to be honest with you. I laughed at the stupidity of this guy. This guy's name is, is Glenn Cooper. And he used to be the TV guy for the Oakland A's. Used to be. He was there for years. Now, he had other complaints. He wasn't a perfect guy. He was a decent broadcaster, but certainly not a perfect guy. In the middle of a broadcast, I want you to listen to what He said, again, this was on the air. It'd be horrible enough if it was off the air and somebody caught him saying something like this. This was on the air where Glenn Cooper is caught using the N word in a TV broadcast. So I want you to listen to this and then we'll uh, talk about it after and the repercussions. This is a live TV broadcast of an Oakland A's baseball game. Listen to what Glenn Cooper had to say. We had a phenomenal day today. League Museum and Arthur Bryant's Barbie. N-word museum. He uses the N-word there. Instead of saying the word Negro, it's the Negro Museum. And I think anybody knows the difference between using the term Negro Museum and using the N-word, which, and that's the interesting thing to me. I find this fascinating, but not surprising, right? First of all, I don't hang out with people that use this word. Let me just start out by saying that I don't associate myself with people that use this word. And if anybody did use this word, it would make me very uncomfortable and I wouldn't want to hang out with that person. That's number one. Number two, I don't use that word in any way, shape or form. If I'm listening to rap music in my car, which by the way, from time to time I do, it's I'm old, I'm 43. So I listen to like nineties hip hop. I don't like a lot of the new hip hop. But even if I'm listening to some lyrics in my car and the artist is using the N-word, I don't say it in my car. It makes me uncomfortable. And I understand that if a black person is saying it to a black person, it is very different. 
I'm smart enough to understand that that's very different. And in some cases, it's a term of endearment if a black person says it to a black person as opposed to if a white person says it. I'm smart enough to understand that. Sadly, there are young kids that hear it in school and they don't understand the difference. They hear if a black kid says it to a black kid, some of these kids think that it's okay for them to say it. Now, parenting gets involved there too, but I'm not going to tell a black person whether they should or shouldn't say the word. I'm white. It's not my place to say that. I have my opinions. I don't think black people should say this word at all. If I had it my way, and by the way, there are a lot of black friends of mine that agree with me. They don't think it should be used either. Whether it ends with an A or an R, it shouldn't be said, in my opinion. Just get rid of the word. It's a, it's a horrible word. It shouldn't be used anywhere. But again, there's a fine line between somebody black saying the word and somebody white, especially in this case when you have a white broadcaster. Now, I don't think this was an accident. Sometimes people misspeak, right? Like, for example, sometimes somebody will swear on the air accidentally. That's different. You know, race isn't a factor there. If somebody says the F word, listen, I know um, a situation where that did happen. Uh, somebody who was a friend of mine, uh, Coach Eric Musselman, his beautiful wife. Used to be on SportsCenter. She, she used to be one of the female anchors on SportsCenter. She was on a hot mic. She said the F word. Now, if that happened at a local TV station, you probably wouldn't be fired. You'd probably get a warning. But this is SportsCenter. This is national SportsCenter. This is some of the highest paid sports anchors in all of television. She was fired. That was a mistake. It was an accident. Right? There was nothing malicious there. There was nothing, there was nothing there, there. She didn't know her mic was on as they were playing some highlights and she said the F word. Do I think you deserve to be fired for that? Uh, that's tough. If you're on Sports Center, I guess probably, but I'd be okay if they gave somebody a suspension and then, okay, don't swear on the air again. I'd be okay with that too. But that's very different. When you use the N word, it makes me think to myself that this guy, Cooper, uses it intentionally off the air. That's what it leads me to believe. You know, that they call it, what, a Freudian slip? And this guy apparently has had some complaints from other people. So it leads me to believe that this is a word that he's used before. Maybe not directly to a black person, but maybe behind closed doors. Do I know that for sure? No, I don't. But I find it hard to believe that somebody says the N-word in a live TV broadcast and then says, oop, I, I, I meant to say Negro. My bad. I'm so sorry. Don't believe that. So he's gone. He lost his job, and I have absolutely no problem with that. Just if someone uses any other racist word or slang word, that's not misspeaking in my personal opinion. And not only that, but it's one thing what you say behind closed doors. We can't really stop you from doing that. But professionally, when you're on the job and, and, and you say that word, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. And rightfully so, you deserve to be in a lot of trouble. And that's what happened to Glenn Cooper, who, who when the A's come out here, he ain't going to be a part of the staff. I can tell you that right now. He's gone. He's gone. This isn't the first time this is going to happen in a live broadcast. And I guarantee you, it's not going to be the last time. Is it an embarrassment? Yes. Absolutely, it's an embarrassment. But... I don't believe this is, uh, you know, people want to talk about cancel culture, right? I don't believe that this is uh, cancel culture. I just think what's wrong is wrong. Open up the phone lines here real quickly. 702-221-7283. And again, if you want to be a part of the conversation, 
uh, give us a, a phone call. Take your calls on this, your thoughts on this. 702-221-7283. And again, the number if you want to be a part of the conversation. we got a couple minutes for some phone calls. If you'd like to be joining us, now's the time to do so. I know I, I went over a lot. I went over Carrie Lake and her embarrassment uh, with this Arizona judge. It seems like denying Carrie Lake for the last time. And now we're talking about the N-word being used in a live broadcast, an Oakland A's live broadcast. And Glenn Cooper has been given the axe. I have no problem with that at all. Again, the number to call if you want to be a part of the conversation, 702-221-7283. And again, that number is 702-221-7283. Let's start off with Carl. Carl, what's going on? Hey, Brian. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Listen, it's a quick thing. I don't know if you saw on TV, uh, I think it was Sunday, that Putin on his uh, uh, systems that he sends out messages reprimanded all the TV hosts, mainly on the uh, the ABC, CBS, NBC, MSNBC, and American politicians who criticize Trump. He's reprimanding them, and it looks like he's trying to help Trump in the 2024 election if Trump does run. I wonder who, if you think, I wonder who Putin wants to be president again. Well, that's rather obvious. And we know that Russia interfered in our elections. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. We know that uh, he has something on Donald Trump because Trump has never even come close to calling him an evil, murderous dictator. I mean, Joe Biden has made statements like that. He's called him a war criminal. Uh, Donald Trump has never said anything negative about Vladimir Putin. In fact, the opposite, even in the town hall. Uh, he said, I could get Vladimir Putin. This war would be over in 24 hours. First of all, that's complete crap. Number one, number two, I don't know what Vladimir Putin has on Donald Trump, but when people say, oh, Donald Trump, you know, he's been the hardest on Russia for any president we've ever had. They are complete idiots when they make statements like that. Well, if, if you think back, all he does is praise dictators generally. Mm-hmm. All over the world. Well, you're right. Anytime love, he has, you're a- right? Yeah, the love letters to Kim Jong Un. Uh, I don't know why Donald Trump talks like that. Even President Xi in China, um, you know, he said a lot of nice things. And I don't want to compare yeah. President Xi to Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong Un because I think that would be extremely unfair. But, but uh, yeah, I hear uh, what I you're can, saying. I can tell you, yeah, I can tell you why Trump does that because he secretly, inwardly, psychologically wants to be a dictator. That's why he brought up. Uh, disbanding the Constitution yeah. temporarily. It's interesting. All the so, uh, and good to hear from you, Carl. I appreciate your phone call. I got to go yeah. to break, but I, I, do, sure. I do I do appreciate the call. Thank you very much. Um, it's interesting what Carl just brought up because when you talk about Ron DeSantis, uh, no one has more dictatorship type tendencies than than Ron DeSantis does, especially with what took place with Disney. Um, so I agree with what Carl just said and. I do believe that Donald Trump admires dictators. I believe he admires Vladimir Putin. I believe he admires Kim Jong-un. He wants that kind of respect. That's the respect he wants, even though he's, you know, the womanizer, sexual assaulter. He wants to be respected as a dictator. I do believe that. I believe there's some absolute truth to that. And uh, this topic's not going to go away. Congratulations to Kerry Lake for losing once again for about the 80th time uh, losing the election in Arizona. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, my hoops guru, Jamison Walsh, is going to be joining us. Is LeBron James serious when he speculates that he might retire? Is this real? 
is it possible that LeBron James might, we might have actually seen him play his last game? I have my opinions on that. Hoops Guru Jamison Walsh is going to be joining us next. We're going to talk uh, what happened wrong for the Lakers against the Denver Nuggets team. Was it a situation where the Nuggets were just too good or were the Lakers just that bad? We'll talk about that and we'll preview game four of the Boston Celtics in action tonight on the road against the Miami Heat. Are the Heat going to be sweeping the Boston Celtics? Are we going to need a broom? I can't believe I'm saying that. But uh, we'll talk about that coming up next. Jamison Walsh is going to be joining us. Talking some hoops when we get back. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to 107.1 FM, 1400 AM, KSHP. Hey, everybody. Are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub? And you can be a hero. Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. Hey, everybody. It's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your health care needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, car accident treatment, and work injuries. You name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound, and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes, and more. They also offer general wellness exams, treatments such as testosterone enhancement, and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices. Office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client. So please give them a call, 702-248-0554. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give them a call now or text them at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a 
I believe it's a Tuesday. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Appreciate that. And uh, also want to thank uh, my sponsors, uh, one of which is Sahara West Urgent and Primary Care located at uh, 6125 West Sahara Avenue, Suite 1B. No appointment needed. I was in and out of there in 20 minutes, man. If you have an issue, they'll take care of you. Jessica and Andrew are awesome. Give them a call, 702-248-0554. You could also visit them online at SaharaWestUrgentCare.com. They take most insurances, and if you don't have insurance, they only charge 95 bucks. How can you beat that? Check them out, Sahara West Urgent and Primary Care. All right, so we got a lot to talk about when it comes to hoops. Uh, Lakers, of course, getting swept yesterday. We got the Celtics, who are on the brink, possibly, of getting swept tonight. And it, it is, is LeBron James retiring? While well, joining us right now to answer all of those questions and break down the game tonight, the hoops guru himself, Jameson Walsh, joining us right now on the line. Jameson, thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And Brian, ain't no possibly. Uh, Celtics going home. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, there in Miami. Uh, Miami's one of the few places in this country where you can get to anywhere in the world from Miami, Miami International Airport. So, you know, they have several options. You know, the islands are about an hour flight away. So they can do a lot of different, they have a lot of options after tonight's game. Wow. So you're saying you don't see the Celtics. Is this even going to be a competitive game? I mean, they quit, they quit in game three to the point where they, the starters didn't play in the fourth quarter down 25 plus points. Um, it is what it is. It's more of a, this team, Marcus Smart had a very interesting interview in the middle of the year about the coaching situation. And we don't know all the details of what happened. We know a lot of stuff. We don't know all the details. So um, we're not going to go into that. But he made it feel like, yes, even though they were doing well record-wise, they weren't led the same way and that they really missed uh, Ami Udoka. Yes. And during the regular season, a lot of flaws go unnoticed because regular season you're playing against teams that aren't so good. But in the playoffs, all that stuff matters, and it really shows that the majority of that team didn't want to lose him. Um, and it, they really felt the kind of way, especially when they found out why he lost his job. Mm. The suspended is one thing, but to lose his job or what he lost his job over, totally different conversation. And the players really haven't been cool with that since they found out the reason, and it's showing. Like, they literally quit on the coach. So like the coach is quit on the player, then – they're down 3-0 in Miami, and Miami is extremely confident and ready to go to the finals. Wow, those are really strong words. So when you watch this series, you say to yourself, well, let me ask you this question then. If they're quitting on the coach now, and the coach is, as you said, quitting on the players now, why didn't they do that against Philadelphia? So here's the thing about Philly. Philly is one of the most mentally weak teams there are. So even though Philly was up 3-2, we knew that series wasn't over. Like we, all, Everyone who knows basketball no, that team, that, that series was just getting started because Philly has no killer instinct. They have never put a team away when they've had, when they've had an opportunity to do so. So with that being said, um, Philly's a different beast. However, Philly's also led by Doc Rivers, who has had a lot of issues in closeout games and series. And Philly as a whole is a very flawed roster. Um, as good as Embiid is, and he should have been the MVP, whether it was last year or this year, he should have won, which is fine. The biggest issue with him as the season goes on, he tends to get injured. When he gets injured, his conditioning gets out of control. And when you're trying to play 40-plus minutes at a high level, you have to be in tip-top shape. He wasn't able to do so, and that's impacted him and also the 76ers. The biggest issue for the Sixers, though, was James Harden outside of two games in that last series was really bad. Mm. You really can't have that poor guy 
that has a big usage rate and makes the kind of money that Harden makes. All right, I get that. That that certainly makes sense to me. Let's talk about the head coaching positions here. We know that Spolster has been there forever. He's experienced. He knows how to win championships. He's a good coach. He's trusted among his players. And uh, we get that. On the other side of things, you alluded to this. The problem is with the Celtics, they just signed this coach to a big contract. So a lot of people are saying, is he going to get fired? Is he going to be let go? Well, they have to pay him a lot of money if they decide to go another direction. What do you think they're going to do? Oh, he's gone. He's gone. Really? Uh, he's gone. Yeah, he's gone. Like, you can't. Also, here's the thing, too, Brian. When you have two all-NBA players that are in their 20s, you're always on the clock. You can't take anything for granted because – all it takes is for one of them, like, yeah, I'm not rolling with this. I'm cool. Got to remember, I mean, I mean, and Jalen Brown were very close. Like, Jalen Brown took that leap because I mean, was the coach. Hmm. That that's the thing to keep it, you know, to keep in mind. Like, uh, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart played their best basketball under I mean, Doka. Like, as as a as you know, players as NBA players, they played their best ball under him for whatever reason. Um, and that's something that you have to keep in mind of. But also, you have two guys that are about to make super max money. You got to have a coach that's ready to, to handle that. If you don't, then you risk a lot of issues, and you can't waste time, especially with the CBA about to change. No, they're going to have a new coach. I would not be surprised if they announced Joe Mazzulla losing his job by Thursday, if not sooner, and then them hiring a new coach in the near future, probably an experienced coach. Um, they're going to go big name hunting, and it should be very interesting to see Orlando, but they are going to go big name hunting for sure. Who do you think would be the favorite to be the Boston Celtics head coach next year? Oh, that's a great question. Um, Is there any chance? Be- any chance Doc Rivers comes back? Any chance? No, 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 no. That's not happening. No, okay. no, and that wouldn't be the right fit. Um, it sucks because Damon Stoudemire was on the staff. He would be ideal for the situation because a lot of NBA people really love him and they like what he brings to the table. But he took the Georgia Tech job. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see them going with an established name. It wouldn't surprise me if they went with Monty Williams. Hmm. It, it would not surprise me if he wanted to, if he took that job. If Nick Nurse does not get uh, selected for another job, I see that route going. But also, Brad Stevens is a guy. He got the job kind of randomly. It would not surprise me if they went young with a younger assistant in the league as well. But for this situation, I think you need an established coach that they uh, that both guys can trust rather quickly because they're on the clock and also the rest of the East is getting better. Like teams like Cleveland and the Knicks are getting better and they're going to have assets to improve their roster. So you have to continue to improve. If you don't, you can get passed up and Boston kind of let this one slip away because they were the best team out East. Like roster wise, they were, they were the best team. They may have not had the best chemistry, but they had the best roster one through 12 and they're not going to have nothing to show for it after tonight. Agree. And uh, I don't don't think there's any chance Jalen Brown comes back a Boston Celtic. Agree or disagree? There's definitely a chance because Boston Celtics could pay him the most money. So there's definitely a chance that that just depends on what he personally wants to do. It might be a sign and trade. He may decide to leave uh, for whatever reason it might be. But no, there's definitely an opportunity. There's definitely a chance he comes back. Because here's the thing, Ryan, the Celtics aren't far away. It's not like they're three pieces away. They're a coach and maybe a couple of improvements at certain positions away from being right back in the finals. Yeah. Uh, the reason why they're down 3-0 is not because of talent. It's more because the, the coaching mismatch is so wide that you can't overcome it because to solve a matchup zone that Miami's throwing at you shouldn't be this difficult, but you also need to have Tatum 
little bit closer to the basket. As great as Tatum is offensively, mm-hmm. he'd, be, he'd be much more of a threat closer to the basket besides shooting a bunch of step-back threes every game. But again, those are certain tactical errors that have happened. It happened in the last series, too. Why it's really getting exposed this series. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely agree. Uh, if you're just joining us, Hoops Guru, Jamison Walsh. All right, let's move now to the other series, which ended yesterday, a sweep. Uh, we know how good the Denver Nuggets are. We'll get to them in a moment. Let's start with the L.A. Lakers. I understand that they made some great acquisitions three several months ago. I understand that a, a lot of people would consider this team overachieving with where they were midseason. I agree with all of that. With that being said, Anthony Davis was horrible yesterday. He's had one good game in just about every series. He has not been good in this series. He has not been good in the playoffs. And when they needed him the most yesterday, LeBron had an unbelievable first half. You can't expect the guy to play 48 minutes and play the way he did in the first half and the second half. He got a little gassed. I think that's understandable, even though I do have some criticisms. Anthony Davis was horrible on both ends of the floor yesterday, Jamison. Agree or disagree? He was He was not. He was definitely not horrible on both ends. Like, that's the first thing. And here's the issue that, I mean, 21 and 14 is not horrible. Like, you can say that he could play better. You can say that, but he wasn't horrible. Um, but here's, here's the thing. The things that Anthony Davis does best, they're not quantified by statistics. Uh, you cannot quantify a lot of defensive items that go on in a game by stats. Yes, stat, uh, rebounds, the steals, and blocks are stats. However, offensively, you can have, there's so many different things offensively that have stats you can look at, like, oh, this was having a great game because he's doing this. Um, Anthony Davis does the reason why Lakers are here is because of Anthony Davis. Like without him, they're not even playing in the conference finals. Uh, so him only having one game, of, a good game of series is not true. That is not the case. Now, have, have there been a couple of down games in series? Yeah, absolutely. Like the game two in Memphis, game two versus, uh, the Warriors definitely stick out. Uh, but also you got to remember this is the same guy that had Golden State changing the start lineup three times in a six game series. So we have to very have to be careful with what we say because we, you know, there are some things that did take place. But he was Lakers' best player throughout these playoffs. Like he's the reason why they advanced. The so let me let me ask you this: I I hear what you're saying, but there are certain things that don't show up in the stat sheet. Example: How many times in this series did we see Anthony Davis miss a layup, miss a shot? And then trot back on defense and not get back on defense. And then Denver gets a, an uncontested layup. It seemed like almost one out of five possessions, Davis was not able to get back on defense. And the Nuggets are really, really good. They're, they're probably going to win it all. So, if you're going to point that out, uh, there's also another forward on the team that does the same thing. I agree. I agree with you so 100%. It, you know, so it, it, it's not just a one person doing that. It's several people that are doing it. That's one of the many reasons why they are losing the game. But I will say, um, you're probably going to see an announcement that both forwards for the Lakers are having some sort of foot surgery or foot operation. Right. Uh, this, this offseason, like the Lakers, this roster went as far as it can go with the situation it is. They're playing with fat, with basically sound money. Like Denver was the number one seed the whole year and they deserve to be in the final. Like they have. They have earned the right. Now, again, can Anthony Davis play better in certain situations? Of course. Yes, of course. We're not going to doubt that. But saying that he's only had one good game a series, and he's only, no, that's not, that's not fair. Because if you look at the whole situation and how the Lakers team is built and the flaws that they have, he covers up a lot of flaws. And for a guy that is as good as he is, he does not get the benefit of the whistle as other big guys do. Uh, because he's not, uh, he's not a big guy. He's not an Embiid or a Giannis or a Jokic to where 
you know, big guys like that, they automatically get fouled. Mm-hmm. Anthony Davis is more of a taller guy, not a big guy. So the benefit of the doubt doesn't necessarily go to him that way. He does need to finish stronger at times. I absolutely agree. But at the same time, uh, the reason why the Lakers are in this spot is because of his play. Like his, He literally made the Golden State Warriors change the starting lineup three straight games in a row, which I've never seen before. I understand that. I just, uh, you know, you look at the points and the rebounds he had yesterday, somebody could look at a stat sheet and, and say, hey, that's a pretty good game. I'm just going by what my eyes saw yesterday, and way too many times we'd see Davis either miss a shot, not get back on defense, turn the ball over, um, certain things that maybe even don't show up, like I said in the stat sheet. He wasn't the only person not getting back on defense. I agree with you 100% on that. Yeah. I'm just saying when you're Anthony Davis and you're getting paid the money that he's getting paid, he needed to be better yesterday, and they needed him particularly in the second half LeBron took over in the first half all right let's talk about LeBron now before we get to the um actual post-game press conference um let's talk a little bit about the way LeBron played yesterday we know the great first half he had the thing I loved about LeBron in the first half was not only was he making shots but he was mixing it up. He was taking the ball to the basket strong. I mean, getting layups. Vintage LeBron James. It appeared to me that he was gassed. He he he's, he was hurt. Yeah. He was hurt. He has a bum foot. He banged his knee uh, with a pick and roll, I believe, with Jokic yesterday. He was hurt. Um, with that being said, with a minute or two to go, you'd like to see him take the shot. I know he tried to take that shot with two seconds to go, and Murray made a great defensive play. I get that. I thought a few times in the last two minutes he was passive. Um, I'm sorry. I'm just going to call it for what it is. I, it hurt or not, gassed or not, when you're one of the best players to ever play the game, you got to find a way to put the ball in the basket. In the last two minutes of the game, he was unable to do that. Um, well. Again, like, I don't necessarily, in the first half, he played well, very well. Um, we knew in the second half he wasn't going to score 31 points. We knew that. Like, that, was, that wasn't going to happen. Um, but a lot of it's also got to credit Denver's adjustments, too. Like, uh, Mike Malone deserves a lot of credit. Uh, there's a lot of adjustments that have been made from game to game, from half to half. Um, you know, the coverage he saw was different. Um, also, you got to look at like this as well. Um, the Lakers as a whole didn't hit or didn't hit a lot of outside shots in the second half. Like, they scored like 37 points in the second half. Um, so Denver's adjustments make a really key part of that. But a big big part of it also is this. Um, there's certain things that the Lakers do well with. A lot of it is letting Reeves do what he does. And that's something that should have been exploited in the closing minutes of the game. And it wasn't, unfortunately. Because well, Aaron Gordon's a very good defender. Probably one of the better ISO defenders in the league for guys that size. Um, that wasn't necessarily an advantage Lakers had. Also, Denver was bringing a second defender, so it wasn't like LeBron had a bunch of advantages. So when he was driving like the last play of the game, he was seeing multiple defenders. And when you don't necessarily have the the um, the players around you that knock down open shots, especially open threes, it's very difficult because now you're in a crowded spot. So I don't necessarily you know get on him about taking shots or whatever like that. It's more of making the right play. Like yeah. my whole thing is, I don't necessarily mind scoring. A win's a win. How you get it? There's no, there's no face on winning. Either you win or you don't. Um, my whole thing is making the right play, whether it's a pass, whether it's a shot, whether it's a deep three, whether it's a, a dunk, whatever it takes. It just wasn't there. Yeah. And unfortunately, the Lakers' offense we saw the whole season yep. has been rough because yes, they've gotten to the conference finals. But it wasn't because of their offense. Their defense is what has gotten them to this point. Their offense needs a lot of work mm-hmm. going forward. I think they can score easily uh, once they have a you know consistent roster. But at the yeah. same time, how the rotation was literally 
got two months ago. So yeah, let's yeah, we ta- kind of have to understand that as well. Let's talk a little bit, though, about Darvin Ham. I have some audio that I want to play for you, and this is Darvin Ham in the postgame press conference. And i got to be honest with you, uh, Jameson, I had a real problem with this. We all saw the last play of the game, and maybe Darvin didn't see the replay uh, before the postgame press conference. That was not a foul. That was a great defensive play by Murray. Great help. It was all ball. Um, I, no, I, no, 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 no. So I have a picture. I'm, in a, I'm actually sending you a picture of the last play. Okay. It was a foul. You're not, but here's the thing, Brian. You're not going to call that at that point in the game. He got fouled at the same time. We've seen this before. We actually, in the Boston game, he got fouled in the Boston game. Well, let me play the, the audio. Let me play the audio for yeah, you I first. Heard, I, heard, I know the audio. Yeah, 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 let me play it for you first, and then you tell me whether you agree or you disagree. Here's what Darvin Ham had to say about that last play after the game. Any excuses or making any excuses, but there's contact on just about every play in the NBA. Now, when you drive the ball in what's considered uh, a violation and what's not, what's called and what's not, it's like I'm oblivious. Like, I don't know. And so um, all you want is fairness and consistency. It's something I've always said. So just trying to get the ball in the hands of our best player and allow him to go make a play in 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 an area on the floor where he's comfortable. All right, so let me rephrase what I said. I don't believe from what I saw the officials should call a foul in that situation. I didn't think there was enough there uh, to make that call. And by the way, that's not why the Lakers lost the basketball game, and that's not why they yeah, were swept. No, no. Yeah, go ahead. No, so uh, here's the thing. One, that, that call is not going to be made at that time of the game. It's just not. Like, you're not getting that call. Secondly, most importantly, um, as a coach, you got to have your players back, whether you believe it or not, whether – you know, you're right. You know, you have that's something that's one of the things outside of X's and O's that you have to do as a coach. You have to be able to basically sit on the sword for your players. That's just how that's how it is. That's something that Joe Mazzula could do better. You know, for both guys, rookie coaches, uh, certain things you would hope that your coach does, you know, does. This is how it is. Now, obviously, right. there's over, so it doesn't really mean much, but that's just part of being coaching. I don't mind Darvin Ham for that. Darvin Ham for a team that started off two and 10 that had a, a very flawed roster. For how he's handled everything this season, he's done a very good job. The adjustments he's made in so much every series has made sense, and it shows that he's probably going to be a coach for a long time in this league. Uh, the guys respect him. They play hard for him. It says a lot. Um, but, yeah, he's done very well. I, I, I don't have many complaints for him outside of certain lineups. But okay, no, he's been, fair enough. He's been very solid. Let's talk about the other topic that uh, everybody uh, who watches basketball is talking about, and that's LeBron James uh, making some statements after the game walking to the team bus, not just in the press conference. Uh, basically, uh, from what I'm quoting here, saying that he, is, he he said he had a lot to think about in the offseason in regards to a possible retirement. Jamison, my opinion is I think there's maybe less than a 1% chance that LeBron retires. I think he's putting pressure. He's calculated on what he says. With the Lakers organization, maybe there's a possibility they get Trey Young. I don't know. But LeBron is putting some pressure, I think, on the Lakers organization saying, hey, man, I need some help. We need some more help. We need a better team. I don't think there's any way that LeBron would want to go out like that getting swept and losing on your home floor uh, i don't think there's much of any chance that lebron retires am i wrong with that opinion oh you're definitely wrong it's definitely higher than one percent um so here's the thing like people don't realize is that all his all the guys that came into the league into the league with are now gone like all his peers like all his guys uh like carmelo wade all those guys those guys are now those guys are no longer there chris paul came in the league two years later but he's you know he's on the end uh, this is year 20, playing a lot of games, a lot of miles, probably has to have foot surgery soon. Um, that he, he's, not, he's not really a surgery guy. He's not a guy that'll 
I've, I've had a lot of surgeries over the years. Uh, and, and then you got to have the recovery after that. It's not the most enticing thing to look forward to. You know what I mean? As a, as a guy that doesn't really have much else to accomplish, it would not surprise me if he were retired. I don't think he's going to for other reasons, but it wouldn't surprise me because at the end of the day, if he just wants to be a father to watch his son play basketball and get his son ready for the NBA, I can see that as well. I can see, hey, you know what? I've had a great 20 years. It's, it's, I've had my time. I'm going to make sure my son takes the next uh, leap and gets ready for the, I would. It wouldn't surprise me if that were to happen. I don't think it's going to. I think it's more of, hey, we just had an emotional playoff run with a lot of wide range of emotion. Remember, this is a playing team. This team was actually down, I want to say, 15 points in the playing game or 13. It, they were down double digits in the second half of the playing game and beat Minnesota in overtime of the playing game. Mm-hmm. And then they beat Memphis, and I think game four was overtime, and then they beat Golden State when game four was Lonnie Walker game. So a lot of emotions in a short amount of time, both good and bad. And then all these games were close. Like, all these games were in the balance in the fourth quarter one way or another. And unfortunately, they didn't, you know, you know, they didn't take advantage of them. But it's a lot of emotions, a lot going on. Also, he sprained his ankle like three times in this series alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was three times, three different instances where he came down wrong and someone's footers came down wrong. And you can tell, like, he's not the same guy. There's a lot of below-the-rim finishes. For a guy that's that athletic, at this stage, you're seeing a lot of more below-the-rim finishes than ever before. Mm-hmm. So I would say the chances are most of 15 to 20%, but I do not think he's retiring. But I think it's a real possibility, though. I really do. All right. Well, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Here's my final question for you. Do the Chicago Bulls... Um, I'm sorry. Why am I saying Chicago Bulls? See, I'm, I'm thinking of Jimmy Butler when he played for the Bulls. The Bulls are definitely not in the in the playoffs right now. No. Uh, the Miami Heat. I know the Bulls wouldn't have a chance of beating Denver in a seven game series. Do the Miami Heat, assuming they win the series, which the, you're probably right, they probably take care of business tonight. Do the Miami Heat have any chance, any legitimate, decent chance of beating the Denver Nuggets in the NBA Finals? They have a chance. Yeah, Denver's going to be favored, and they should be. Uh... Denver's a better team. They're deeper. Um, you know, they, they are, they're a better team. They've been together longer. Like, they are the better team. However, whenever you have Eric Spolstra, you have a chance. His adjustments, his coaching, his game-to-game, quarter-to-quarter, position-to-possession coaching, you're definitely going to have a chance. The way Jimmy Butler's played the playoffs, you're definitely going to have a chance. They're going to need another guy outside of Jimmy and Bam to continue to play like this. I don't know if this travels. Also, Denver shoots the ball lights out as well. And I don't know how it's going to work when both teams are shooting at the same rate and you have Jokic that is able to do what he does. I just don't see them being able to have an answer for Jokic at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I think the Sears can go six games, maybe even seven, but Denver is the better team. And I think Denver is going to be the first Western Conference team that's not located in Texas or California to win a championship since the seventies, which is crazy. But I think we finally have a team that's not in California or Texas to win the NBA finals in almost like 50 years. I agree with you. Uh, Malone is, is a very underrated coach still. I don't know why he's a really good coach. They got a good staff. Uh, Murray, I'll tell you why I'm going to tell, tell you why Ryan real quick. Yeah. The mountain time zone gets no respect. We do not care about the mountain time zone. It's either the central or Pacific. So in the NBA, the Lakers, the Warriors, the Clippers all come on at 7 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And the Central is like the Bulls and all those teams in the Central. Yeah. They come on at 5 o'clock our time. We don't really care much about that 6 p.m. slot. 
it's just not, you know, because Phoenix half the season sure. is on um, the um, um, daylight savings time. So we really don't care much about that central at Utah, Denver. We just don't care, unfortunately. But Denver's been a, a hidden gem for a while. Mike Wall's done a great job. Even with the Kings, he was really good. So Yeah, no, I agree with you. And uh, that makes sense to me. But uh, Malone is just done a phenomenal job with this team and they've been really good for several years now. This isn't the first time uh, Denver's been a really good basketball team. Uh, Jameson, you're really good at what you do as well. Always appreciate the insight, my friend, and it's going to be a fun couple weeks uh, of NBA basketball and uh, we'll see if Miami most likely, I agree with you, probably uh, finishes the series today. Jameson Walsh, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for joining me. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Appreciate that. Jameson Walsh, the Hoops Guru. He's been doing my show for years. Guy knows his stuff, man. All right, I'll say this. Um, Jokic should have won the MVP. The fact that Joel Embiid won it is, is, is a travesty. That's number one. Number two, Jokic is going to go down as probably one of the top 10 players of all time, one of the best centers to ever play the game. Uh, in my eyes, he's already there. And he's going to win the championship this year. I've been wrong on a lot of things this year. The Denver Nuggets are not going to lose. Uh, Jokic is going to be the MVP. The th- interesting thing is how well Murray has played. I mean, every single time Murray releases the basketball, it seems like not only is it going in, but it's not hitting the rim. Murray has just been on fire. The confidence is through the roof with him. And he is a stud. So I don't want to take anything away from Murray and, and how great of a player he is. He's been phenomenal to watch. Guy's averaging like 26 points a game against the Lakers. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous the level of play that Murray's at. Nothing to take away from him. Jokic is doing literally everything. And what I mean by everything is things you don't even see in the statue. Yeah, we know he rebounds like a monster. We know that he is probably going to go down as one of the biggest, if not the best passer as a big man in the history of the game. The guy acts as a point guard sometime. He dribbles the ball up the floor. Did you see some of those shots he made in this series where LeBron talked about it? Like he shoots the ball like minute ball. He's off of one foot. So he's doing like a Dirk Nowitzki when the shot clock is winding down. Off balance, he hit a couple yesterday off of one foot and like a grasshopper, he puts the ball behind his head and shoots it. Anthony Davis can't even touch it and he's making it. I mean, these are some shots that I've never seen center. He does things that I've never seen a center do in the history of the game. I mean, it, it, it's ridiculous. So uh, this guy's going to go down as one of the best to ever play the game. He already is in my eyes, and I think he's going to be a top 10 player of all time, and I think he's going to win multiple championships. It's not just going to be this year. He's going to win multiple championships in his career unless something catastrophic happens to his body. Um, you know, the guy's just incredible to watch. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, it's Real Kid Poker joining us. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about Doyle Brunson, of course. The passing of Doyle Brunson, very sad. But uh, World Series of Poker right around the corner. We're going to talk to Danny about a little bit of VGK hockey as well. Of course, we got to talk some hockey with Danny Negreanu. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights are Game 3 in Dallas tonight, so we'll get his thoughts on that. And again, the other series, Carolina down 3-0 against Florida. I don't see, I don't think anybody saw this coming either. These are, these are these are some weird times in the NHL and the NBA. We'll talk about that with Danny Negreanu when we come back. We'll take a quick break. Be back right after this. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP.
All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Tuesday. Thank you so much for joining us. By the way, coming up at the bottom of the hour, Darren Millard is going to be joining us, uh, TV analyst VGK, uh, to preview the game tonight, Game 3 uh, versus the Dallas Stars. Boy, Dallas really needs this one because you go down... 3-0. The series is, is, is for the most part is, is virtually over. So Darren Millard will be joining us at the bottom of the hour, but we're going to mixing, mix things up right now with this guy. We're going to talk some hockey with him. Also Carolina down 3-0. We'll get into that. Uh, World Series of Poker, uh, starting at the end of the month and, uh, plenty of things to get to. And I always love having this guy on with us. He's the best. Of course, I'm talking about, uh, the face of poker for the last two decades, at least, uh, real kid poker, Daniel DeGrande joining us right now on the line. Uh, Daniel, always a pleasure, my friend. How you doing? Uh oh, Daniel, you're there. Can we hear you? There yeah. you go. Can you hear me? There we go. We got you, Daniel. Thanks for joining us, my friend. How are you doing? Good. Just twiddling my thumbs, waiting for the World Series poker start. Yeah, you know, this is the time for you where you take a break, right? Mentally, you want you don't want to be doing anything that's mentally straining because for the next what month and a half, two months, you're playing poker for like twelve hours a day, right? I mean, that's what you're in right now. You're just resting and getting ready to go. Yeah, basically, my game plan is typically to get in shape before the World Series of Poker, and then when it happens, I eat whatever I need to eat and, you know, give myself sugar and whatnot. I can hear feedback on my own. Can you hear that? I don't hear it, but we'll try to uh, figure out what's going on there. Sorry about that. You sound good through my headset, but uh, we'll try to figure out what's going on. You still hear it? Yeah, as long as you can hear me. Then we're good. Oh, it's gone. Oh, great. Gone. Fantastic. Okay, good. Uh, something from the radio god. Sorry about that. Um, all right, so we're talking about uh, the World Series of Poker and how you prepare yourself. I wanted to ask you this. Year in and year out, do you have the same goals going into the World Series of Poker? Like, do you say to yourself, boy, I'd love to win that bracelet, or I'd like to have, you know, five top, you know, final tables, which is, you know, almost impossible to do. It's very difficult. But, like, what are do the goals change year to year, or is it pretty much the same game plan? Well, yeah, five final tables is not impossible because I've done that before. Almost really, impossible. <laughs> um, my goal, my goals have evolved over the years, and I think like the last five or six, I, my main focus is winning Player of the Year. I've won it twice; nobody else has won it twice, so I'd like to get to number three before anyone else hits number two. So that's typically my goal. And within that, you know, if you if you do win Player of the Year, there's probably going to be some bracelet wins along the way. When the cards are not cooperating, which happens to every poker player, and if you're like, you know, this happened to you, I correct me if I'm wrong, last year at the World Series of Poker, right? The cards were not cooperating. Uh, how do you get yourself ready to go the following day? I know I've talked about this with you plenty of times before, how you deal with bad beats and that sort of stuff, but I'm just saying the World Series of Poker is very different, right? Because you could be playing in a big tournament elsewhere, and then maybe you have a, a couple days to regroup or a week before your next tournament. But the World Series of Poker is different in that you got to be ready to go the next day, right? Yeah, for me, that's actually a benefit. You know, the fact that you don't have to wait and you don't have to stew over what happened. Like, you know, in order to be a professional tournament player, like resilience is key. You have to be able to wake up the next morning, forget about what happened yesterday and have that same sort of excitement and passion and like, you know, to, to go down there and play. If you wake up in the morning and you don't feel like playing, you probably shouldn't because, you know, your, your mindset's not going to be where it needs to be. Sure. Understandable. So before we talk hockey, a couple more poker questions for you. Obviously, I got to ask you this one. Uh, the poker community uh, throughout the world losing uh, the biggest name probably in the history of the game. Of course, I'm talking about Texas Dolly uh, Doyle Brunson, who passed away uh, last week. Uh, just your thoughts on that. Uh, obviously, Doyle lived a, an incredible life and still played poker at a very high level at his age. But your thoughts on just the passing of Doyle Brunson and his legacy? legacy you know the term legend is thrown around quite loosely but like when you think of poker 
and you think of legend, you think of Doyle Brunson. I mean, he was around in the times in the 50s and 60s traveling, you know, the Texas road games and whatnot. He's seen it all, and he was able to still compete at the highest levels. I think when you're a poker player, you see a lot of guys come and go. You know, they, they can't hack it over time. But Doyle was 89 years old, and he was still playing the highest stakes games in the world. So he was really beloved universally in the poker community. Very few people had anything bad to say about him. And if you got to know the man, you know, you'd realize, like, he's just a good person, you know, and it was really a sad day. Obviously, he's 89 and he lived a full life, but it sort of felt like Doyle was going to be here till he was 150, you know? Yeah. You know, it's amazing because, you know, Daniel, I remember playing a round of golf. This was 15 years ago. I played a round of golf with another guy, the late, great Lane Flack. Played a round of golf with him. He was gambling with Doyle, and I didn't know Doyle at all. I've known I've known Lane for a long time, but I didn't know Doyle. It was the first time I actually met him in person. And Lane allowed Doyle to tee up the golf ball in the middle of the fairway, wherever he went. And this is when Doyle could still get out there and play golf, and he was still pretty good. He he had a good basketball career, right? When younger, good athlete. And he just whipped the pants off of Lane Flack and took a lot of money off him. And I was just watching and it was just it was just incredible to watch the hustle of Doyle Brunson. It didn't matter whether it was at the poker table or on the golf course, the man just loved to win and he was the ultimate competitor, right? Well, I experienced that myself. Those were oh. called Doyle rules. Because Doyle, obviously, Doyle would literally play golf. He'd walk out to his ball on a crutch. <laughs> he would actually have a crutch because, you know, he had a knee problem from his basketball days. And, you know, we had rules where he could tee it up from anywhere, whether he was in a bunker or whatnot. And uh, he, he got to play from the red tees. And obviously, over the he was a great golfer when he was younger. But now all he does, he just hits it dead straight, you know, never in trouble, shoots himself a nice clean 80 and wins all the money. So I experienced that firsthand. But, you know, as you mentioned, Doyle was an athlete. He was an intelligent man. He was one of the few back then that came into poker from a, you know, educated aspect rather than most who just sort of happened into poker. And his career would have looked very differently. He was an NBA prospect. He was drafted to play for the, uh, I mean, this is the Minneapolis Lakers at the time. Right. And then he had an accident at work, you know, where he messed up his leg which led him down you know the the poker path yeah and and uh his his athleticism uh you know especially obviously in his younger years it showed though on the golf course just with his eye hand coordination let me ask you this who's a better poker player all-around career i know phil ivy has a lot of years to go and, and what he continues to do in poker who's who, the, the better poker player career-wise, would you say Doyle Brunson or Phil Ivey? I know how much respect you have for Phil Ivey and how, many, how much respect so many others in the poker community have. Who's a better poker player, Phil Ivey or Doyle Brunson? Well, it's, it's just such an impossible question in so many ways because obviously you can't compare Doyle when he's 80 to Phil Ivey, you know, when he's 35 or something like that. It's just unfair. Obviously, you know, Doyle at 89 wasn't as good as he was when he was 60 or 50. And I never had the chance to play with Doyle when Doyle was at his best. But when you think of longevity and you think of somebody being able to do it for that long, uh, it's hard to, you know, sort of say that, you know, Doyle isn't the, the GOAT, you know, for, for his longevity. As far as, you know, money on the line at their peak, who would win in a heads-up match or something like that, probably go with Phil Ivey. But again, the question is so difficult to answer because you're, you know, really comparing apples and oranges in, in so many ways. Understood. So, so Daniel, you've been very close to Doyle for, for so many years that you've been playing. So maybe you can share a story with us, you know, something that maybe the public didn't know about Doyle, or maybe a story that stands out to you. I'm sure there's many of them, but maybe if you could pick something out, a story that stands out between time that you spent with Doyle that maybe uh, you can share with us that stands out uh, you know, greatly. I think the thing people don't know about Doyle is he's really funny. 
you know, he had really great one-liners, you know, whether it was on TV or not. And, you know, he was always great with fans and people and whatever. And I remember this one time he's playing in Bobby's room and he's getting destroyed, right? He's down like a million or something like that. And there's a fan, you know, through the glass going, hey, Doyle, and going like this. And Doyle's waving back like this. And under his seat, he's going, oh, yeah, you bleep, bleep, bleep. I'm stuck a million dollars, but I'm going to smile nice for you, right? <laughs> and we're all laughing our asses off inside the place. Meanwhile, the person has no idea. You know, they just think, oh, look, Doyle's talking to me. You don't want to hear what he was saying. <laughs> oh, I just think that's so great. Well, obviously, he'll be sorely missed. I guess my last question there is with the World Series of Poker right around the corner, right? Um, I would imagine they're going to be doing, they're going to be honoring Doyle in, in a lot of different ways. Have you heard anything from anybody like Jack F or anybody that, that running the tournament? Or is it among players? Do you guys have anything planned to honor the legend Doyle Brunson? Yeah, so my agent from Poker Royalty, a guy named Brian Ballsbog, him, Doyle Brunson, and Jack Binion became very, very close. You know, they would go to lunch every week, you know, together as a group. And uh, Brian has sort of taken the, you know, lead on creating an event at the World Series of Poker and trying to time it right so that we can all sort of get together and maybe like part roast, part celebration of his life. I think that's what he would appreciate most. And kind of just having some people that were close to him say a few words, um, you know, because again, it's, he's such an iconic figure in the poker community that, you know, it, it, it only makes sense to do something special for him at the World Series of Poker. Yeah, I think that would be awesome. And I, and I know that, uh, you know, all the players that knew him and, and friends and family, they know that he would appreciate that and, and ops absolutely well-deserved. All right, Daniel, let's talk about uh, another subject that you are extremely knowledgeable in. You're knowledgeable in plenty of subjects, but hockey is certainly one of them. Before we get to the Vegas Golden Knights, and I really want to pick your brain a little bit, and I especially like uh, five things that you tweeted out today about the Vegas Golden Knights in this series. But before we get to that, let's talk about the other series. When there were four teams left, and there still are four teams left, but when these series started, I should say, the Carolina Hurricanes were favored to win it all. They were a slight favorite over the Vegas Golden Knights. I think most people, including myself, I don't know how you felt, I thought Carolina would, would find a way to get it done. Now, I know this series is not over yet, but now they're down 3-0. They have really put themselves in a hole against the Florida Panthers. I thought Carolina would win last night, and they lose two overtime games at home. They can't even score a goal yesterday, and they only give up one goal. So they were pretty darn good defensively. But now they find themselves down 3-0 against the Florida Panthers, and the Panthers, I believe, can close it out tomorrow. What do you make of this series and what the Florida Panthers have been able to do, uh, not just in this series, but in the postseason as a whole? Well, you look at Carolina coming into the playoffs, and they're missing two deadly weapons. One, Max Pacioretty, he never played the whole season anyway. He was hurt with the Achilles issue. But more importantly, they had Andre Svechnikov who is a sniper, and they're missing him. So when you talk about scoring goals, it's more difficult when you're missing probably your best natural goal scorer. On the other side, you have Florida Panthers with Bobrovsky, the $10 million goalie that for the last three, four years, everyone was saying was the worst contract in all of hockey. Well, guess what? Bob has figured it out. Bob is playing at a clip not seen in the playoffs in I don't know how many years. It's been a long time since we saw a guy post like a 965, 974. And in each 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 game, his save percentage is going up in, in all three of these games. And he's really been the difference. Obviously, you've got Matthew Kachuk in Florida, who is the perfect type of guy you want for as a playoff performer. But you know, Bobrovsky is proof that a goalie, when they're on their when they're on their game, can steal a series. He's the he's the only one really doing that. You know, Aiden Hill's doing a great job of holding the fort, but he isn't stealing the series. The team's is winning, you know, because they're supposed to. Florida you know, in that first game that went to 18 overtimes, you know, they weren't the better team till maybe like a couple periods in the overtime. The only reason they were still right. in that 
was 100% Bobrovsky. And I look at, you know, being down 3-0, I, I hate to say it's over, but do you give the Carolina Hurricanes any chance of getting back into the series, even winning game four? Slim to none, of course. Listen, any and this isn't a knock on Carolina. They're just down 3 nothing. And when you're dealing with a trying to beat a team that has a goalie that can seal games, like even though you might play three perfect games, great games, and still not score, yeah. you know, enough to yeah. uh, mm-hmm. to get past Bobrovsky. Right now the team is, and you know, Florida's built in such a way where I think they're underestimated because they came in as the eighth seed. Right. They barely squeaked into the playoffs. There was a lot of, there was a few injuries throughout the season and Kachuk just getting his, you know, footing on a new team and stuff like that. Yeah. But they're really gelling and clicking at the right time. And you know, they're a, day, they're a tough out. Have you ever seen a game like that where, of course, I'm talking about four overtimes, you know, game one. You see a game like that where it almost feels like that's two games that you just lost, right, Daniel? Because you basically played two games in one game, and then you lose a game like that in front of your home fans in quadruple overtime. It almost went to five overtimes, right? Score with like 20 seconds left to go in the fourth overtime. It had the feeling to me like it was almost like you just lost two games. Yeah, no question. I, I was watching, you know, the TNT panel, and Gretzky sort of said that the pressures on this game now was it's gone into four overtimes is, is more on Carolina than Florida. Carolina's sort of playing. Florida's playing with house money at this point, and Carolina really needs to. It's so tough to be the home team and to lose that game when you did. And uh, you're right. Like when you think of how much energy was exerted, it's bad for both teams going forward into the finals because that takes a lot out of you. I was actually a little bit surprised to see them both come back with their starting goalie because that's really a that's a lot to ask yeah. to play that deep and that late and then come back two days later and play again but you know Bobrovsky's just dialed in right now that leads me to another question I want to ask you as you know during the regular season and overtime it's three on three hockey which I think is so exciting um how do you think players would react to this and and what do you think of maybe they should implement that in playoff hockey do you think that's wrong or maybe after one overtime the second overtime you go three on three or do you think they should just keep the rules as they are and just regular five on five hockey and overtime in the playoffs i think what separates hockey from other sports is playoffs overtime i think it's epic i think like everybody was engaged i was watching each one of those overtime periods and like every, any play could be the difference and you're watching these guys barely skate but they're still finding a way you know they're exhausted at that point i think the playoff system works obviously once in a blue moon you will have a game that goes to four overtimes but it's incredibly rare yeah. you know that was the yeah. sixth longest game i think in the history of the of the nhl and uh i think you know and then of course you look at the other side with the vegas gold knights we went to overtime twice but those are over in a minute. So right. I like the system the way it is. I don't think it needs any changes for the for the postseason. I tend to agree with you, even though uh, selfishly I really enjoy three-on-three hockey. Uh, regular season overtime is also extremely exciting. Obviously, different stakes are on the line here. All right, let's move on to Vegas Golden Knights uh, in action tonight on the road against the Dallas Stars. Game three. Um, gosh, let's start with game two. You know, at least in my opinion, I was at the game. In my opinion, I thought Dallas outplayed them for at least 50 minutes of that game. And then you saw the desperation of the Vegas Golden Knights completely outplay Dallas the final 10 minutes when they were down two goals to one. Uh, they tie it up. Marsha Show ties it up, goes to overtime. And then Stevenson, a guy who had a couple really uncharacteristic uncharacteristic mistakes uh, in uh, in regulation, uh, comes up with the game winner. What are your thoughts on game two and that uh, really a debilitating loss uh, for Dallas, who was in control for most of the game? Yeah, I totally agree with you that Dallas was definitely in control in game two. But I will say this, you got to give a lot of credit to Vegas for just sort of staying within the system. They kept at it, you know? They were still in it. Even though they were being outplayed, they still had that chance. And then mm-hmm. we had a game breaker like Eichel make that very, like, 
sick backhand pass just to tie the game up with a couple minutes to go. And, you know, the thing about hockey, and again, I've said this before, a lot of people don't realize it, there is a lot of variance in the game, right? You can play better than the other team and still lose. And, you know, this series right now, it's 2-0 Vegas, but this isn't like your typical 2-0, you know, lead. It's both games went to overtime and it could have been 2-0 the other way very easily. So the series is not over. Game three is pivotal because obviously if Vegas wins game three, you can close the curtains on it. But if Dallas wins, all of a sudden it's a 2-1 series holding serve. If they win game four, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, they're back in it. So this is a very, if if Vegas can find a way to pull out game three, you know, that, that bodes well for them, you know, getting the rest they probably could use for the Stanley Cup Finals. Agree. All right. So you put something up on social media that I wanted to talk about, and and, and you said five reasons the uh, VGK are up 2-0 in the conference final. Let's go through those real quickly, if that's okay. Uh, you mentioned the defense. Let's talk about the defense of the Vegas Golden Knights and what they've been able to do against the Dallas Stars team. Well, I ranked them, too, and you just, yep. you just touched on number one. That is the number one. For me, the depth. When you look at Hagen White Cloud, and I've said this before, I think that, you know, around the league, if you look around, you don't find a better bottom two than that. You know, very young. They got fresh legs. They have a little bit of offense to them. But in, in addition to that, you know, the top four, you have an offensive minded, uh, defenseman and a defensive minded defenseman as a pair. And then you have Petrangelo who does a little bit of both. So there's a really a lot of depth and they're healthy. And I think that wears a lot of teams down. A lot of teams, when they put their bottom two out there, it's a liability. That's not the case with Vegas. So I think their depth on defense really protects the goalies well, too, especially within the system that Cassidy employs with that sort of zone where the defensemen stay, stay put. It's really tough to sort of crack. And, you know, defensively as a structure, mm-hmm. um, you've seen, you know, when, when they're on, they're very difficult to score on. No question. Let's talk about uh, Bruce Cassidy. You know, he, he coached a lot of good uh, Boston Bruins teams, never was able to quite get over the hump. And listen, there's not many coaches that win Stanley Cups. So let's start there. Cassidy, a really, really good hockey coach. I just get the sense that, you know, with his system, with this team, and you alluded to this as number two, and uh, they just seem like the team of destiny. I don't want to jinx them here. But uh, this would be a chance for Cassidy to get over the hump. I just think he's done such a phenomenal job with this team, with the injuries they've had, with uh, you know 18 different goaltenders. Sean Burke's done a great job as the goalie coach, and I just feel like the staff has done such a great job, and Cassidy's system has worked so well with this team this year. Yeah, I don't think you're ever going to find a better pathway than they have right now. You look at Boston, the big favorite. They're out. Colorado, last year's champ, out. We dispatched of Edmonton. Toronto's gone, right? So there's potential right now to be playing an eight seat. Obviously, you know, Florida's really coming on and there's no, no easy out. But when you think of a path up to nothing now on Dallas, um, you know, and Vegas really being in their window, um, in, in terms of like win now mode, uh, you, you combine that with sort of everyone buying in fully to what Bruce Cassidy wants them to do. And they are, they're really sticking within the system. You know, I think this is like, this might be the best chance they ever have at winning a Stanley Cup. Let's talk about Jack Eichel. This was number four. We, we already talked about number three, where you talked about luck and you talked about variance. And and, and Vegas, while they've played well, uh, they've also been lucky. They've had a couple bounces go their way, and uh, it's worked for them. But let's talk about Eichel, who had never played in the playoffs before. We know how good of a player he is and what a magician he is when he has the puck in his hands. Uh, but, uh, you know, the first uh, playoff appearance, he, he had a minus three. He was very bad in his first playoff game appearance. Since then, he's been nothing short of phenomenal. Yeah, no question. Just quickly on the luck thing, you know, it's not simply just luck and bounces. It's also health, right? Right. They've been incredibly healthy. You know, you have Amadio and Kessel. They're not even in the lineup right Mm -hmm. now. And then they also had the benefit of when they played the Winnipeg Jets, which was a tough out, 
three of their top six forwards were out, and so was Josh Morrissey, the Norris guy. Right. right now, right. fast forward to Jack Eichel. After game one, nobody knew what to expect. What is Eichel going to look like in a playoff game? A minus three, one shot. Everyone in Buffalo saying, see, told you so. Since that point, he's been the game breaker that Vegas has never had in the playoffs mm-hmm. or at any point during a regular season. You know, they already they were sort of like missing that one a, you know, bona fide star uh, center that can sort of, you know, be a game breaker. And mm-hmm. Jack Eichel's been as good as he's ever been right now. He's really mm-hmm. coming into his own. And uh, I think he's been the difference in a lot of games. Now, number five, uh, we talk about this in all of sports, which is balanced depth. Uh, we talk about it in basketball. We talk about it in football. Uh, you know, who's on your bench? Uh, guys that maybe don't get as much playing time as others. And it seems like uh, with the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, particularly later in the year this year, uh, their depth in their third and fourth line and, and what they've been able to get from certain guys where maybe you wouldn't have expected that the first couple months of the year. Talk about the depth that this team has and how much it's helped them, particularly now in the playoffs. Well, the depth comes specifically from one thing. It comes from how Bruce Cassidy chooses to deploy the lines. Mm-hmm. Most teams, you take your top six forwards, you put them on line one and line two. And that leaves a third line that's just the mishmash of whatever's left and a fourth line. And you think about Vegas for the last five years. Like our third line has always been like, what is the identity of this third line? What Cassidy did was he chose to go with pairs. So you have, you know, Eichel and March or so. You have Carlson and Smith. And then you have at, on the on the third line, Stevenson and Stone. And he fills in the wings on those three lines with adequate players. So now right. you really can come in waves. And, of course, you've got a traditional fourth line. But the depth is born really out of how he's spreading out the offense. Imagine if you took the top six and just left the third line, that team doesn't look that deep anymore. You know, if the third line is like Barbashev, Waugh, and Howden, it's okay, but it's nothing like it looks now. So he's done a really good job of spreading the wealth. And in the playoffs, I think that really bolds well when you can actually roll four lines Mm -hmm. and feel confident in each one. Yeah, for sure. Who do you think wins the game tonight, Daniel? What do you think happens out there? Well, listen, if, if, if Vegas wins this game, the series is basically over. I got to imagine, you know, Dallas has been in every game. Um, I got to imagine they're, you know, they're going to come out strong. So I, I have to make Dallas the favorite in game three. You know, this is do or die for them. So I would say that, the, you know, they go into game four with Vegas up 2-1. Any value right now in taking the Vegas Golden Knights to win the Stanley Cup? I didn't look at the prices too closely, but I would say that, you know, like right now, I mean, I would imagine that the odds are not good enough probably because they usually withhold a lot of juice. Right. But I would say that I think it's fair right now to declare them as the favorite, uh, despite Florida being up three, nothing actually, you know, it might be close because Florida has a little bit of a leg up already being up three Oh, so they're much more likely to be in the finals than we are, but it's close. Yeah. 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 It's going to certainly going to be a lot of fun. All right. I have to ask you this. Uh, what do you think the odds should be at right now? If there, if there is an offshore uh, line out there of Daniel Negreanu winning a bracelet in the 2023 World Series of Poker, what should that line be at? Listen, if you can get two, two and a half to one, go ahead and fire. I, I would bet on myself at even money at this point because I just know I'm going to win a few, right? For me, I have a few. One of these years, I'm going to have a year where I win four or five in a year. It's going to happen. I don't know if it's this year, but I'm, I'm hopeful and, and optimistic. One event that you're looking forward to the most in the World Series of Poker this year, what would it be? Every year, my favorite event is the $50,000 buy-in Poker Players Championship, which is a mix of, you know, nine different games. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to be good in all the formats. It's a very slow structure. It's very pro-heavy. And I just live and die by every, by the turn of every card in that event. 
Will it be very difficult to focus if you're at the final table of a poker event and it's going on during Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals uh, and Vegas is in it? Will that be difficult for you at all? I don't know. I will see, right? I mean, I, obviously the, the Finals will run through the World Series of Poker, but I'm really going to prioritize playing in the big events. Um, I made a mistake a few years ago when they were in the Finals and I was in a super high roller bowl playing for $5 million. And I said, I have to watch the game while I play. And I watched the game while I played, and that took me out of it. I ended up coming second, winning $3 million. Mm. But I do think that watching the game while I played was probably not ideal and affected me you know, in terms of my energy levels. If you had to choose one player in the World Series of Poker this year that you would love to bust, who would that player be? Well, it's, there's nobody more fun to bust than Phil Hellmuth because you get the theater, which is you know his rant. And you get to be called they and all these sort of expletives and whatnot. So it's just fun. Like I'm my favorite guy to watch on TV by a mile is Phil Hellmuth. He's a, quite a character and it's real. It's authentic. I tend to agree. Well, Daniel, uh, I'll leave you alone with the world series of poker coming up. I, you know, I always wish you the best of luck and, 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 and we hope you do win several bracelets. That'd be a great story. And it wouldn't surprise me one bit and uh, go nights go Daniel. Always appreciate the time you take uh, to come on this show and uh, good luck, my friend. I'll see you out there at the world series of poker. Thank you so much. All right, bud. Have a good one. All right, one. you too. That's a real kid poker, Danny DeGrande. Always a pre- man. He always gives me the time. Always appreciate Daniel uh, coming on this show. Smart guy. I knew he was going to say Phil Helmuth, by the way. I knew it. I knew that was the guy he wanted to bust. <laughs> That's the guy that everybody wants to bust. Um, but uh, it would not surprise me one bit if real kid poker uh, won a few more bracelets this year in the World Series of Poker. Uh, phenomenal poker player. Extremely smart guy. Oh, yeah. And by the way, he's a pretty knowledgeable hockey fan, too. That's why I love... Um, talking hockey with Danny Negreanu. And as I mentioned, game three is tonight. And uh, I want to talk to, I haven't talked to this guy in a while. You see him on TV, does a great job as an analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights. His name is Darren Millard. Won't be talking poker with him, but we will be talking VGK hockey with him. And uh, I really believe that this is the best chance for the Knights to win a cup. I know they were up 1-0 in year one against the Washington Capitals and then Mr. Alex Ovechkin. I think they're in a better spot now. I think they're the best team left. And I think uh, tonight could really solidify them getting into the Stanley Cup Finals. This series is not over just because they're up 2-0. We're going to ask Darren Millard a little bit about that. He's out there in Dallas. Uh, and uh, before I, we do that, though, I want to tell you guys about my favorite gaming bar in town, which is Jackson's Bar and Grill. Located uh, really right down the street from here, man. Flamingo and Jones. Uh, man, they have some great promos like tomorrow. If you earn 200 points, you get a chance to spin this wheel where you can win up to 3,000. And then if you earn 300 points, you get to spin the wheel again. That's only on Wednesdays. So check that out tomorrow. And then on Fridays, if you earn 1,500 points, you get $100 in free play that is added to your account the next day, which would be Saturday. Uh, fantastic food. Great atmosphere and a great place to watch the game tonight. Don't forget they do the pass the puck contest tonight. In fact, I might not, I might even be out there tonight if I can move my jaw after all the, the dentistry work that I'm getting done this afternoon. Please check them out. Jackson's Bar and Grill, my favorite gaming bar in town, located at Flamingo and Jones and tell them I sent you, man. Sign up for a player's card if you haven't already done so. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Vegas Golden Knights TV analyst Darren Millard will be joining us next to preview the game tonight. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. (laughs) 
look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you, his relationships with the prosecutors and judges, and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. Hey, everybody, are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn, that true blue New York-style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub? And you can be a hero. Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you, his relationships with the prosecutors and judges, and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. The showroom at South Point presents Sheena Easton. You'll hear all her top solid gold hits. May 26th to the 28th. Tickets to the box office online at southpointcasino.com or charge by phone 702-797-8055. Sheena Easton at the South Point. Demand. We can do this all night long. The showroom at South Point presents. Let's get on with it. <laughs> Bill Medley and Bucky Hurd. The Righteous Brothers. May 23rd to the 25th. Tickets to the box office online at southpointcasino.com or charge by phone 702-797-8055. Don't miss this show. It's selling out fast. Thank you. Help. KSHP, North Las Vegas, 107.1 FM, 1400 AM, K296 HP, North Las Vegas, and online at KSHP.com. 
Vegas has Italian ice. Philly Freeze Me Italian Ice, also known as water ice, is 100% authentic Italian ice made with authentic recipes and fresh ingredients. Philly Freeze Me is also vegan. Try a single flavor or mix it up and taste test multiple flavors like watermelon and cotton candy or strawberry lemonade and mango. It can be adult friendly with alcohol infused flavors. Two area locations open until 8 p.m. every day. Follow Philly Freeze Me on social media at Philly Freeze Me or online at phillyfreezeme.com. Immersive Disney Animation is the groundbreaking experience of a lifetime. Featuring the animated sights and sounds of Disney's most iconic films. From The Lion King to Frozen to Encanto and more. Step into the magic of Disney's greatest characters. Immersive Disney Animation is now open at Lighthouse Art Space Las Vegas at the Shops at Crystals. Tickets at DisneyImmersive.com. Brought to you by the producers of Immersive Van Gogh. World famous Randy's Donuts is now in Las Vegas. Look for the giant rooftop donut at Sahara and Rainbow and get ready for a taste sensation like no other. Since 1952, Randy's Donuts is consistently named one of the top donut shops in the country. And there's little wonder why. And oh my God, the variety. Glazed, raised, sprinkled, long johns, cinnamon rolls, crullers, fritters, bear claws. I'm getting hungry. Randy's Donuts, 2170 South Rainbow at the northeast corner of Sahara and Rainbow. Randy's Donuts, always alive but always worth the wait. Visit randysdonuts.com or just stop by at the northeast corner of Sahara and Rainbow. You've seen Randy's Donuts in the movies. Now taste them for real. One taste and you'll be back again and again. Randy's Donuts, 2170 South Rainbow at the northeast corner of Sahara and Rainbow. Welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Tuesday. Thanks so much for joining us. We just had Real Kid Poker Danny Negrano on talking a little hockey, a little poker. Always love having him on. You know, I watch all the Vegas Golden Knights game when they're on the road. Obviously, when they're home, I'm there covering the games on the road. Uh, and I tell you, the TV crew, they do a wonderful job. And one of those guys that I really enjoy uh, watching, listening to, breaking down with everything that is VGK hockey is the guy we have right now. He is Darren Millard, big fan of his, and he joins us to kind of break down uh, game three in Dallas tonight. Darren, I appreciate you joining us, my friend. How are you? My pleasure. Looking forward to Game 3 tonight. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, before we get to Game 3, what do you make of these first two games in this series, Darren? Uh, nail-biter, overtime games, great come-from-behind win for the Knights in Game 2. Uh, do you feel like uh, maybe a little bit of the luck was on their side? They created their own luck. What do you make of these first two games? I thought they were really good in the opener and uh, were, were well-deserving uh, of the result in, in that game. Had their five-on-five uh, five game going and certainly had the the rush opportunities in their favor and if not for Jake Ottinger that game would not have been anywhere close to overtime and in game number two uh, a little more of a sluggish start uh, the response that, that Dallas was was looking for uh, trying to equal that series uh, but still defensively, uh, Brian, I, I, I thought that the, the Vegas didn't give up much and were were really 
strong uh, in their own zone and in protecting in front of their net. And uh, you haven't heard much about uh, certain players that we expected to hear their names mentioned in Mac Domi or Joe Pavelski uh, in this mm-hmm. series. Uh, and Tyler Sagan has had a couple of shifts, but uh, but has been victimized uh, on the on the five on five. So uh, I thought uh, defensively in, in this series, Vegas has been consistent in both games, and uh, they've taken advantage of their opportunity. Uh, in, in game two to get the 2 nothing series lead. Darren, if, if I asked you six months ago, or, and I told you six months ago that the Vegas Golden Knights would have a two-game lead in the Western Conference Finals with all the issues they had with injuries, goaltender, it seems like they've gone through 18 different goaltenders, and yeah, Aiden Hill's been phenomenal, but if I told you that six months ago they'd be in this spot, would you have believed it? Yeah, if, if I would have said, are they healthy? And they're healthy. Uh, it's as healthy as they've been all year, and that's the the great timing part of it is uh, a year ago this team was expected to compete for a conference title and and challenge for a Stanley Cup if they were healthy it never happened it didn't get close to happening and this time around they were really fortunate to to peak at the right time health wise and that was the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs and, and get into it so uh, yeah I. I know there's been a lot of drama, uh, certainly with the goaltending throughout, uh, the captain having back surgery again, but the timing of that back surgery was uh, incurred in order to qualify for the playoffs. So this this isn't a big shock. And, and, and remember, the, the West, because of Colorado uh, being so banged up this year and question marks about their health, it was as wide open as ever. So uh, being healthy and, and being uh, able to uh, have everybody uh, to be leaned on this fourth stage, it's, it's worked out in their favor. You know, Darren, I, you know, talking to Dan Duva uh, a few weeks back, I said, you know, what do the Knights need to do to, to get to the Stanley Cup Finals? Number one, and he said, your stars need to play like stars. And, you know, Jack Eichel, who had never been in the playoffs before, he had a tough first playoff game. I think he had a minus three. And since then, he has been nothing short of phenomenal. Now, we can go down the list of all the guys that have been great. And, and you mentioned a few of them that maybe you wouldn't have expected. But can you talk a little bit, Darren, about Jack Eichel and what he's meant to this team and the way he's played in this postseason, uh, you know, has, in my opinion, been nothing short of fantastic? Well, the easy thing to say is he's making up for lost time. And he's uh, dove right in uh, with uh, with uh, headfirst uh, and perfect uh, perfect execution through it. Uh, I, I thought uh, in the in the Winnipeg series there was uh, uh, certainly some some great highs, uh, but he was getting used to the the pace and and really absorbing what was going on around him. And uh, in in the Edmonton series, uh, really comfortable on the big stage but not needing to be the superstar in the game. Like, didn't didn't change his game because he was facing the one guy that was drafted ahead of him in 2015. Didn't turn that into a head-to-head matchup of, of performance. Uh, it was still about the results, but he came out ahead because he, he certainly looked after his own zone. And there was a couple of plays that, uh, that stood out in that series and more on the defensive side, uh, because of how he played. And, and that's, uh, that's continued here into the third round. He just looks really comfortable in this space and on this stage and has a confidence about him 
that uh, that you certainly can appreciate and and respect and and admire, uh, given uh, what he's been through in his National Hockey League career. So I I've been really impressed by Jack. Yeah, as have I. And what a difference between play- all due respect to Buffalo. All- what a difference between playing in Buffalo and playing in Vegas. Different atmosphere in Las Vegas, Darren. As I'm sure you would agree. If you're just joining us, uh, well, look yep. look at Reinhardt uh, with, sure. with the Florida Panthers. Yep. Very very similar. Like they they both uh, left Buffalo and uh, getting an opportunity to participate the Santa Cup playoffs, and then they're both yeah. taking advantage of it. Yeah, Sabres are not back in the days when they had Dominic Hasek. Things have been a little bit different down there over the last uh, year, years, decades, I guess you could say. If you're just joining us, TV analyst does a great job for the Vegas Golden Knights. Darren Millar joining us, previewing Game 3. All right, Darren, let's talk about Game 3. You would think, right, that the backs are against the wall for the Dallas Stars. You can't go down 3-0. We know the percentage is there if you go down 3-0. You would think that Dallas would have a little bit of extra spark in their skates tonight, and you would get their base game. Is it fair to assume that? Yeah, I think uh, there's, a, there's a couple of... Max Domi uh, has not been as visible in this series as I expected Max Domi to be uh, on the physical agitating side. Just just a presence. Uh, I think you'll see more agitation uh, in, in the Dallas Stars game tonight, uh, being at home and knowing what the uh, consequences would be from a loss in this game. And then on the uh, on the more execution side, uh, Joe Pavelski, uh, that the power play uh, hasn't been where the Dallas Stars need it to be, uh, and where it has been so far in in the postseason. Uh, that has to be a difference maker for them. But Joe Pavelski has to be a difference maker for for the Dallas Stars, and hasn't been to. And and a lot of uh, a lot of that side of it has been the execution by by Vegas. They have changed the way uh, that they defend in their own zone a little bit change is probably a big uh word uh tweak uh, uh their their defense is being uh, uh allowed to uh roam uh, a little bit more play a little bit higher in the zone to make sure that you take away that uh, that high tip mm-hmm. and uh and uh, protect uh in in around the the goal so uh i i think that you you'll see a, a push on on behalf of the Dallas Stars but uh, but Vegas, the, the defending, and I'll go back to what I said earlier. Uh, it's it's been uh, a really impressive series from from that side of it, that consistent series by Vegas in in the uh, in the two games, and I, I think a little bit about that uh, uh, comes into play because it's a more traditional series. And I talked to a couple of players this morning about that. Uh, the Edmonton series was was almost video gameish. Because of Drysaddle and McDavid and the uh, the poise of that power play and the dangerousness of that 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 Oilers power play, and this is a more traditional set. What we're used to, it's more like real hockey, as as one player put it to me this morning, and uh, and I think that that's been uh, reassuring uh, for Vegas to sort of get back to normal. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And, uh, I think, I think certainly you're going to see Dallas's best game tonight. I'm not saying the Knights can't win this hockey game because of, of course they can. You know, let's talk about these two coaches. Similar pads in this situation, right? Both very good coaches and Pete DeBoer and Cassidy, but both coaches have never been able to get over that hump and, you know, get to that Stanley Cup finals and win the cup. Not many coaches can. It's a very difficult thing to do. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I just get the sense that, and again, I don't want to jinx things here. This series is far from over, but I just feel like 
the Knights seem like a team of destiny this year. And I, you know, I remember I was talking to Jonathan Marshall about this earlier about their chemistry off the ice. You know, Darren, you're, you're around this team a lot. Talk about that. These guys just seem to get along very well. They're pranksters. They have fun off the ice. The chemistry is there. And you really need that to win a championship. You need that to be a successful team in general. But you need guys to be able to get along with each other, especially when you spend this much time around one another. And it seemed like the Knights, it just seems like the Knights, they've had that this year. Yeah, One of my favorite uh, conversation topics when it comes to sports is chemistry and winning. And which comes first? Uh, Do you need to be winning? And then chemistry follows and develops or is chemistry there and then because everybody gets along do you start winning and uh there, there's people that are firmly on one side of that argument uh and then firmly on the other side of that argument and and star players so star uh coaches uh that uh, that believe one side over the other but in, in this case i i can tell you for sure that the 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 room was great from the start, and uh, you could talk about uh, players on the taxi squad that played a, a significant role throughout the year. Uh, I'll point to a Paul Cotter in in that regard uh, this year. Uh, the blossoming of uh, uh, Brett Howden uh, throughout this year and in his role within the dressing room. Uh, I think it's uh, it's uh, brought out some some personality in some players that you don't necessarily see a lot of. Uh, during, during the course of, of media interviews and and players are growing in in that regard uh it's it's been fun it's been different uh, uh part of it uh, i think uh was uh, uh certainly uh, taking some pressure off uh, off players uh as they they went through the year by having mark stone when he was out uh being more present in and around the team he did a lot of his rehab last year when he was uh, uh going through the uh, the situation with his back and he wasn't around the team he was in and around city national arena i think that uh, had an opportunity to be a captain uh throughout the uh throughout the rehab process and not just uh, an extra player that was off doing his own thing uh this this is this is a good strong united team that uh certainly has been different than than the last two and i can't explain it uh, uh other than it it's fun to be around and yeah. they they talk to each other in and around the dressing room, uh, like we're not there some days, uh, because they're just in in their own fun world, yeah. which is which is really cool to see. I love that. I absolutely love that, Darren. I just want to ask you a few questions as a whole in the NHL this year. The playoffs have been very strange, right? I mean, Boston out in in, in round one, Colorado out in round one, and now you have a, a really good. I'm sure you would agree, Carolina Hurricanes team that's down three zero against the Florida Panthers. We had a quadruple overtime game. It almost felt like that wasn't a one game loss for Carolina. But that was like two games because, you know, I mean, it, it literally it was two games and it felt like two games. What do you make of the playoffs as a whole this year? It's been a little strange. And now you have in the Eastern Conference uh, finals, uh, Florida up 3-0 against a really good Carolina Hurricanes team. Well, Florida was the President's Trophy winners for the best team in the National Hockey League regular season a year ago mm-hmm. and then changed their roster and their organization significantly with uh, a massive trade and then uh, altered their approach and their identity with their uh, changing of, of the head coach in Andrew Burnett, uh, who is the interim head coach being moved out for Paul Maurice. And uh, I, I anticipated, I said uh, on, on, uh, on the air, 
several times that it was going to take some time. Now, uh, did, did I think it would take that long uh, to figure out and click in the gear where it was uh, nip and tuck until the final couple of days before they qualified for the Stanley Cup playoffs? No. Uh, I, I thought they'd left it too long and uh, and weren't going to be able to, to turn it on. And I never anticipated rallying against the Boston Bruins. Never mind being the Boston Bruins, but mm. coming back from a 3-1 series deficit right. uh, and having uh, started the, uh, the the postseason with your third-string goaltender, no, I, I didn't expect that. But you can see that where where the, the base is, uh, that they when they found some confidence and uh, and the, the Bennett's and the and uh, uh, the ex lads uh, the uh, uh, Barkovs uh, and hopefully he's okay uh, uh, and the, 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 then the, the execution of the Matthew Kachucks being able to to roll in and and be a, a difference maker and Sergei Bobrovsky is being playing the best hockey of his career and. That's significant because he's won two Vesna trophies in, in his time. And uh, when when you say that, you, you understand that uh, he's been uh, the best goaltender in the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So uh, I'm happy for Paul Maurice, he's a friend of mine, and uh, I'm really uh, uh, pleased to see him uh, get uh, some recognition on that side. But I'm also uh, ex- excited to see uh, what Matthew Kachek has to offer. And, uh, and he's, he's a great uh, uh, player. He's a fun player. And and I think it uh, it gives uh, a little bit of enthusiasm that uh, yeah. like Calgary's players, it took them a while to to click it a year, and it never happened. Yep. Matthew Kachuk's been the best new player in any team in the league. You know, Darren, you mentioned Paul Maurice. Uh, side note: I was a Hartford Whalers season ticket holder back in the day. Paul Maurice was our coach. It was his first head coaching job, yeah. and he did a really yeah, and he did a really good job. The Whalers almost got into the playoffs. We were terrible for a long time, and that was when Sean Burke, who was obviously the goalie coach for the Knights, was our goalie back in the Hartford Whalers. So there's a little bit of Paul Maurice, Sean Burke uh, history there. But yeah, I think Paul Maurice is a fantastic guy and a really, really good, well-respected coach. So I'm I'm really happy. For for him as well. All right, last question. Uh, Darren, what do you think happens tonight? We talked about, you know, we expect Dallas's best game tonight. W- what do you think is the end result? Do you think the Knights can steal one out there, or uh, do you think this is a situation where Dallas back against the wall uh, get the W? Well, I think the atmosphere of, uh, of American Airlines is uh, is going to be intense, and that's welcomed by the Vegas School tonight. So I don't think that that uh, uh, brushes them uh, aside at all. Uh, I hope that uh, the Chandler Stevenson feels better and, and is able to play. He wasn't on the ice this morning. Uh, that uh, That is uh, his first order of business, is, is hoping that he is in the lineup and able to be uh, be on the ice and, and producing, coming off the uh, the high of the overtime goal the other night. Uh, there, there might be uh, a little bit of more push pull in this game. Uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how much Dallas strays from their game to try and get back into this series. Yeah. And if you if you stray too much, sometimes it can open things up, and and the five on five transition game can get uh, can complement uh, the the opposition because it opens up holes. So uh, I, I don't think anything's going to change defensively. They've been so locked down and so been so consistent on that side. Uh, I'll be curious to see whether we get a higher scoring game though, because Dallas is willing to take more chances to try and generate some of their uh, 
their own offensive games. And uh, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for Vegas. So uh, I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say we'll see a few more goals tonight. But uh, but as far as uh, picking a result, you've, you've got two by the most minuscule margin. Uh, so that that's beyond my my pay grade, and if I if I could do that, I'd be uh, I'd be in a different line of different line of work. And well, the Hartford Whaler the Hartford Whaler connection goes a step further oh. uh, with uh, with John Stevens, of course, uh, a member of the uh, the Golden Knights coaching staff, was also a player with the Hartford Whaler. Of course, and I joke with Berkey when I'm at uh, Knights games because he'll always tell me who's who's in the arena scouting, who's a former Whaler. He's like, hey, we got Gadinyuk in here. We got we got uh, Kevin Deneen in the building. Go say hi to him. I always joke around with Berkey about that, and it's always fun. Well, Darren, I always appreciate uh, the time, and uh, you do a great job on the tube, man. Keep up the great work. You guys are awesome, and uh, let's look forward to whatever the score is. Let's look forward to some more games in Vegas. Uh, VGK Hockey in mid-May. You gotta love it, man, and uh, appreciate your time, uh, Darren. Enjoy the game, and thank you so much. Well, this series has followed suit uh, with the Eastern Conference throughout with the overtime. So let's uh, let's anticipate uh, and uh, root for uh, following in that pattern again. I love it. Darren, appreciate the time, my friend. Have fun. Thank you. All right. Be good. Appreciate that. That's Darren Millard. Does a great job. You know, I really enjoy um, people like Darren, and and you know how much respect I have for Dan, uh, for uh, Dan Duva. I just think he's really well. I don't think I know. He's he's really good play by play guy. Uh, the Knights have some really really good people uh, on their staff as far as uh, media people, and uh, Darren certainly no exception to that. He's really really good, and uh, we appreciate that. You know, it's funny. I. I got a text message. I'll say it's from TC Martin, who, who of course does the show after mine. He's in a little bit of traffic. By the way, if you're on the 215 right now, I don't know exactly where it is, but apparently there's a real, I'm not a traffic reporter, by the way. Well, wait a second. I used to be one 20 years ago. Well, no, 15 years ago. Very briefly, Brian was a traffic reporter. Why am I talking in the third person? I don't know. That's just weird, but I was a traffic reporter for Fox five. Very briefly. I have a face for radio. That's why I'm getting cosmetic surgery today. Uh, but uh, no, and also I do have a dentist appointment in like 35 minutes, but I'm going to hang around here for another 10 minutes or so because I do want to talk about something that I know TC Martin talks about all the time. And this might be a controversial topic, though. I'm going to talk about the Las Vegas Aces right now, and I'm going to compare that to the Vegas Golden Knights. So I want to ask you all this question and maybe... And I'm going to ask Mark this question too. And maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here because the Vegas Golden Knights need to beat the Dallas Stars, and then, if they are lucky enough to do that or fortunate enough, then they got to beat another good team, whether that be Carolina or Florida, to win the Stanley Cup. We know the Las Vegas Aces just won the championship last year. So can people say the first major champion, the first major sport champion, if the Vegas Golden Knights win the Stanley Cup, would it be the Vegas Golden Knights? Or would it be the Las Vegas Aces? Here's my opinion. I know some people aren't going to like my opinion, but I don't care. It's an opinion. It's a sports opinion. I love the Las Vegas Aces. I love going to games. I love covering games. I can't wait till they get their rings this weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. I love Becky Hammond. I love Mark Davis. I love the players. I wasn't a big Liz Cambage fan. Love everybody else. I, and again, this is going. this might hurt some people's feelings, but you know, that's never stopped me before. I love the Aces, but I don't consider the WNBA a major sports franchise. And by the way, I wouldn't consider soccer that way either. There are four sports. And I'm not trying to sound like a chauvinist pig because I'm not. And I love the Aces. We're talking about Major League Baseball, the NFL. We're talking, of course, about 
the NHL and the NBA, and obviously two of those four sports we don't have. But I think when you say, what's the first major sports franchise to win a championship? If the Knights win, I would consider it to be the the Vegas Golden Knights. Mark Hayes, I want to bring you in here, program director. Am I wrong in saying that? Do you think that's wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the reason and that's okay. That, and that's okay. It's just an opinion. Yeah. No, your opinion is, I mean, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion, yeah. but when you look at the, the WNBA, these young ladies, the way I will look at it, they are getting paid, right? Mm-hmm. They are getting paid to play a sport. They're a professional sports team. Um, that's just like UNLV to win the championship. Will we consider UNLV the first team to win a championship? Well, it's not a professional. But I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. I mean, how about we look mm-hmm. if UNLV was to win a championship? Are the Aviators, mm-hmm. right? I understand both sides, but I think the Aces were the first team, um, professional team to win a in their professional sport, the mm-hmm. WNBA. They are considered a professional league, well, a professional right. team. You're right. And if the Knights do win it, they'll be the second team, in my opinion. So you're right. They are the first professional team. I, that's just a fact. I wouldn't argue that at all because you're right. But I guess when people say the first major professional team, do you consider the Aces a major? Prof- I guess that's the question. Yeah, I'm asking. I, I mean, I do. I, 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 and the reason I do is because when you start looking at the WNBA, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, they are. They've been around, what, 27 years, 30 years, whatever the case may be. And they have uh, right under kind of the NBA is kind of their, you know, sister, right? Mm -hmm. It's the sister of the WNBA and brother of the WNBA. But I think just from their, the girl, to me, they're getting paid. They're, they they did bring a championship to Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And I think from a, women's perspective or a male's perspective i think the wmba is one of the maybe not it's nba wmba kind of together so i would say they are in that same kind of major sports just like the nba so they would be considered the nba wmba together and then you still got major league baseball still got hockey and you still got sure nfl Mm -hmm. right so wmba and nba is together Mm -hmm. so that'll be one a and one b well one thing's for sure they're they're a professional oh yeah franchise (laughs) no nobody's gonna doubt that they are um and they won a championship last year and i believe they'll win the championship this year i know that the liberty are pretty good as well but uh i mean it's ridiculous i saw some odds on uh at a local sports book if you pick the liberty or the aces to win the championship they're eight to one favorites against the field which is absurd that's probably i mean that's a good thing if you're an aces fan or a liberty fan but that's not good for the league uh there's not a lot of parity in the wnba uh i don't think anybody thought that the celtics would possibly be outed uh 4-0 it looks like that could happen today there's certainly a lot more parity in the nba than there is in the wnba but uh that's a testament to the las vegas aces right that's a testament to the liberty i mean these are two really good teams they're also star-studded teams um and i i root for the aces you know you know it's interesting when i talk about issues and i wouldn't really call this an issue uh, the Aces won the championship last year. Nobody can take that away from uh, This isn't really an issue. It's just like a, a word, a play on words, I guess, major sports franchise and sports franchise. 
But when I talk about issues facing the WNBA, some people might say, well, Brian, you're you're an Aces hater, which, by the way, I'm not. I'm not an Aces hater at all. I go to most of the home games. I've been to it since day one when we had Bill Lane Beer, and I enjoy going to the games. And I wouldn't say anything to the contrary. They're affordable. They're a fun family atmosphere. The girls play really hard. Women play very hard. Um, and they're fun. And I really enjoy the games. But there are a lot of issues surrounding the WNBA, such as pay, um, I disagree with the players when it comes to uh, demanding or wanting more money. I think that the bu- it's a business, and the business needs to make money. And I guess that's my biggest issue with the complaint with, uh, I guess you'd call it that, with players that are saying they want more money. And my question would be like, well, the league has lost money 27 years in a row. I'm not talking about the Aces organization. I'm sure they're doing just fine. But I'm saying as a whole, the league loses money every year, that that's an issue. That's, yeah. And then the TV contracts and, and the lack of ratings. The ratings have not been great over the years. They're getting better. And then the argument I hear always is, well, listen, the WNBA has only been around for 27 years. You know, when the NBA was around for only 27 years. Okay, fine. That's a fair argument to have. But I'm not sure those players were asking for more money when the league wasn't making money. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of issues surrounding it. Um, but when you break it down by, like you said, uh, are they considered a major sports franchise? Yes. They are. I mean, losing money. I mean, but they the girls yeah. are getting paid, right? And they sure. are, like I said, we just opened a brand they facility out in. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, so I think they are, when you consider a major sport, maybe we can say maybe a woman's major sport because you got women. Well, that's for sure. Soccer, it's you got def- women that play. And to me, I mean, I think no when, if the Knights do win it, I think people will say mm-hmm. that they are the second team to win a championship here in Vegas. They're the second professional sports franchise in Las Vegas to win if a they, We're talking about them. They haven't won it yet. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a very big if. Yes. And, and, and I wouldn't doubt that for a second because that's factually accurate. I guess it depends on what you define as major sports. Major, like, yeah. Like if the Aviators, and again, I love Jim Gemma, I love the Aviators, yeah. but I wouldn't consider the Aviators a major sports franchise. They're triple A professional baseball. Yeah. What I want them to win can we celebrate absolutely but i wouldn't consider triple a to be a major sports franchise even though it's a professional franchise yeah. I guess just the way i think yeah. is that i think of the four sports yeah yeah and, yeah, and of they course. just happen to be male sports yeah. by the way i love women's tennis i've been watching women's tennis since i was a kid with my dad we'd go to the u.s open um but is that one of the tennis men or women? Do I consider it one of the top major sports? Yeah. Um, well, you got no. golf too. You got to throw golf in golf as well. Um, <laughs> but it's it's but it's weird. It's different, right? Because it's not a team sport. It's a single it's an individual sport. sport yeah. Um, but there's no question that the Aces are a professional team. Yes. They won their first professional uh, championship at, here in Vegas, mm-hmm. and and there's no question about that. I go back to UNLV. That was the first major championship when yeah. UNLV '92, right? 92. Won, won won the championship with my good friend Anderson Hunt mm-hmm. yep. and, and all oh, those Larry guys. Johnson, yep. And that was the first major, not professional, but championship, championship that Vegas. Vegas saw. So um, I think that's you know that's awesome, and I don't, I don't want to take anything away from the WNBA. Some people have different definitions of what a major sports franchise is. And some don't. Yeah, let and me just let me just say this real quick. So before we we're filling in, uh, if you are tuned in, we're gonna yep. just go to a quick uh, his open, and then uh, we'll continue the conversation. Sounds good. Okay.